Before we get into anything else, let's do one thing off the top. And the first thing we're going to do off the top is this. You know, the other day, uh, one of the movies that Disney Plus and Disney has been sitting on for a while is Cruella, starring Academy Award winner Emma Stone. Now, this is not a project I have been, you know, very interested in. To be, I mean, it's going to be interesting, sure, but I have not been hyped for it at all. The trailer dropped the other day, and the trailer was really good. I, I was shocked how good I thought the trailer was. It suddenly made me quite interested in the movie. Well, apparently a lot of people were interested in it because they're now reporting that the trailer for Cruella hit in the neighborhood of 71 million views. 71 million views. Now, listen, that is a drop in the bucket compared to like Mulan that had like 175 million views, something like Endgame and stuff like that, that, you know, got into the like 300 million views. Lion King had 224 million views. But in this era right now, in this pandemic era, that is really damn impressive, especially when you consider the following. Falcon and Winter Soldier which a lot of people are excited about. You know, it's my most anticipated Disney Plus series. I cannot, yeah, yeah, I cannot wait for this. It look, and it looks great. It looks great. So Falcon and Winter Soldier, after you take away the view numbers from the Super Bowl, it ended up in the 40 million views range. When, and that's all, that's all platforms combined. When you look at something like Zack Snyder's Justice League trailer, it got 24 million views. Now, remember, we're talking about first 24 hours. First 24 hours of viewing is what we're talking about here. That's 71. And Cruella? Blue. Falcon and Winter Soldier? And, and Justice League? And things like that out of the water. So you got to look at that 71 million, or 71 million uh, views, Mark, uh, in the thing. And I, again, my, my damn sub thing came up. I will make sure that doesn't come up again. But subscribe to the channel, everybody. Anyway, 71 million views in the first 24 hours. Uh, in this era right now, when, you know, the the entire industry is, is lagging right now, there's a bit of a stall and, and things like that. I got to tell you, that's really impressive. doesn't mean I'm looking forward to Cruella more than Falcon and Winter Soldier. I am most simply not. But it is really impressive numbers. Rob, when you look at this, like, did we, did a lot of us just misjudge the potential popularity of like 101 Dalmatians villain spinoff? Did we misjudge the actual appeal of an Emma Stone? Have we, like, I mean, because I don't think a lot of us were expecting this type of reaction to that trailer. What do you attribute it to? Well, first of all, I mean, I think the idea of a Cruella movie is it doesn't necessarily excite uh, when one initially hears it. So I don't think anybody could be, you know, blamed for not anticipating the response. But I have to tell you, John, this movie, if I just use myself as a gauge, and that's what I usually do, I had no interest in this movie. And uh, none. And I uh, saw the trailer and suddenly it went to the top of my must-see list. I uh, have I disappeared. I think you disappeared. Yes, I will. I will see if I can get you uh, reappearing, though. I'll see if I can get you back. But by all means, do please do continue. Oh, you can still hear me. 
Oh, I can um, still hear you. Yes. Oh, good. So well, what I was going to say is that this trailer, which the movie had no, you know, I'm like, oh, it's Maleficent, you know, whatever. When I saw this trailer, I'm like, this is like the Joker meets a Disney villainous. And I'm I'm there for it. I thought it looks beautifully made, sumptuously uh, directed, and it looks expensive. It looks fun. I always have loved Emma Stone, and it looks like she's having a great time. And this trailer screamed to me great, populist, unexpected entertainment. And I told people about this trailer. I'm like, oh, my God, have you seen the new Cruella, tra- Cruella trailer? you got to watch this. So I think that that happened with a lot of people. You know, it's it's like that jolt of seeing something that you weren't anticipating and then getting back when you first get a glimpse of it. It's like, wow, I got to yeah. see that. I mean, that's what I think every, you know, we in your documentary, man. In in movie trailers, a love story, which is available now on Amazon and Vimeo, depending it's on where you are. Available everywhere, from. everybody. It's available um, everywhere. You know, part of what that your documentary was about is about the actual excitement when a trailer drops. If you, you know, if you see something unexpected, or if it makes you feel a way that some way that you didn't expect, and it's like, man, I gotta see that. And I think that the Cruella trailer did exactly what a great trailer does. It unexpectedly, you know, I I think the same was true of if I went back, you know, I don't think it was until people actually saw Heath Ledger as the Joker for the very first time, probably in a trailer, that they came around. You know, everyone's like, Heath Ledger, come on, as the Joker? But then when you see him, you see his performance, he opens his mouth and the way he looks, it's like, oh my God, I've got to see that. And I think this trailer did just that, which is, I think, why. And let's not remember, we always, the, the, I think the female audience, I, I think that never underestimate Captain Marvel's box office when you when you engage moms and their daughters together. Uh, I think you've got lightning in a bottle or something will, will catch fire like Katniss Everdeen. And I think that um, that's part of what happened here. Uh, and I, I think you're right. And uh, fortunately, we were able to get your camera back, at least when we were on you. One second. I'm going to make sure. There we go. We got your camera back. All Hello. hail Robert Meyer Burnett and hey, the triumph of return. I right in. Uh, question is for you guys. What do you think about these numbers and this thing? I, I, for one, am actually pretty surprised by it. I wasn't expecting numbers these bigs. Are you surprised? Maybe you thought, no, Campy, I thought you were always underestimating the popularity of this property. Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move now into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic, story, or issue that you think we should make as a main topic here on the show, simply go over anytime to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Preston Bell, who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Hope you both had a terrific weekend. I did actually, Preston, thank you. So, a release date has been announced for Zack Snyder's new Netflix film, Army of the Dead. 
It is slated for release on May 21st, and a teaser is expected this Thursday, according to Zach's recent tweet. A prequel and anime spinoff show are also in the works. I'm stoked for another Snyder film. What are your thoughts about this upcoming zombie flick, and how do you think it will do? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, finally, we have a release date. I believe it is May 21st. We are going to get a release date. We got a release date now for May 21st for the upcoming Zack Snyder film, Army of the Dead. And I will tell you what, Rob. You know I have been very uh, interested in this movie. I've been very interested to see how this movie is going to turn out. I think Zack Snyder in his entire career has made one film I haven't liked. And that was that was Sucker Punch. Other than that, I've liked every film that he's done. He's getting back into a genre that he's obviously familiar with and that he's had success with. I think this is great. And actually, you know, one of the downsides, one of the several downsides, but of the whole uh, Snyder Cut Justice League drama has been everybody's forgotten about Army of the Dead. <laughs> everybody's <laughs> forgotten. Nobody's nobody's talking about Army of the Dead. And I think this looks when I read about what he's doing, you look at his previous work, and when you understand his talents as a visual storyteller, and you get into a story that's going to kind of be like Army of the Dead, I think it, the one of the unfortunate drawbacks of all the Justice League drama has been just one of the drawbacks has been the fact that everybody's overlooking and not really thinking about Army of the Dead. And I think this looks really fun. And by the way, I'll bring this up again. I think this like poster they've got is awesome. The giant safe door with the hands kind of clawing out the door. I think this looks great. So May 21st, not a lot of time uh, that we're going to have to wait to see this thing. Anyway, Rob, we've now got a release date for Army of the Dead. What are your expectations of it? And where's your anticipation level for this film right now? Well, I have to say, you know, I've often said I one of the things I most objected to in my life was somebody remaking Romero's Dawn of the Dead and Zack Snyder did it. And I went in and sat in that theater with my arms crossed, my nose in the air, ready to scowling with hatred. And within the first 10 minutes, I was won over. So to see Zack Snyder return to the zombie genre, I love the idea that, I mean, something new mercenaries are going to commit some major Vegas heist during a zombie outbreak. I'm like, that's new. I'm I'm in and knowing that knowing that Netflix is so high on it, there's going to be a prequel series an animated component. I got to tell you, John, uh, this is exciting to me. Right. in My wheelhouse cannot wait. I can't wait. The trailer is supposed to drop this week. I think yep, this Thursday, I believe I uh, bring it on, bruh. You know what? Bring it on. You know what? I've heard a number of people saying that. You know, from from what they're reading and, and from the stills that they've seen and the little clips that have kind of leaked out there, they're saying it looks a little bit low budget. Hello? It's a zombie film. Of course it's low budget. That's part of the charm of this genre. That's part of the charm. I think that's part of what, you know, what Zack Snyder is able to do as a visual. Think what you will about Zack Snyder and any of his other stuff, whatever your opinion may be. This dude knows how to make visually fun engaging stuff uh when it when it comes to just what he does with his visuals and you take a genre like the zombie genre of course it's going to be lower budget than justice league of course it's going to be lower budget than a no time to die of course it is but that is part of the i've always felt that's part of the dna of these types of movies rob and so i i don't see that as a down part at all do you i mean you know romero's dawn of the dead it albeit it was made in the late 70s was made for like less than a million bucks. <laughs> you know, it's one of my favorite movies. 
And it, it, what difference does it make what the budget level is? I mean, think about it. The Road Warrior didn't have a big budget. Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan didn't have a big budget. You know, it really doesn't matter how much a movie costs. Again, it's the characters and the story and how it's told. And Zack Snyder is a very, very competent filmmaker. And I'll bet you that that movie, it kicks ass. I mean, look at Grindhouse. I mean, Grindhouse was expensive for what it was, but they actually made it look low budget. <laughs> it was still awesome. And and I think that um I, I think that I, yeah, it's not Infinity War or Endgame, but you know, men and women with guns on the streets of Vegas fighting off zombie hordes while they pull a major heist. What's not to love? I agree. All right, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? We've we've heard about it. Maybe you've overlooked it because of all the other drama, but now we've got a release date for this. It's coming in May. What are you guys thinking about Army of the Dead? Are you looking forward to it? Are you still kind of middle of the road? Are you reserving your judgment right now until we see the trailer? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down into the comment section below and leave them there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by the one and only, I love that username, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, hope everything is well. Everything is, is well. Thank you so much for that. So Forbes Twitter account just posted an article about Amelia Clark selling a fancy house, but they casually wrote the following. She also signed on to replace Amber Heard as Mara in Aquaman 2. How reliable is this coming from Forbes? As no other source is mentioned, your thoughts on Amelia Asmara, long, live long and prosper. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, now every once in a while, I'll be sitting there and I'll have my phone with me and, you know, my, my notifications go off. But every once in a while, like you'll hear, you know, every few minutes, bing, a couple of minutes later, bing. But then when something's going on, you start to hear bing. Bang, 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 bang. I'm like, what's going on? And I started to get a bunch of messages from people last night talking about this uh, article in Forbes saying that Emilia Clark has replaced Amber Heard as Mara in the upcoming Aquaman 2. This is uh, what is in Forbes. They write, her badass Thrones role catapulted her to A-list status, leading to another physically demanding film roles as young Sarah Connor in Terminator Genesis, which we all try to forget, and Kira in Solo, A Star Wars Story, which I actually kind of liked her in that. She also signed on to replace Amber Heard as Mara in Aquaman 2. Daenerys, Kira, Mara, even her full name, Amelia, Isabel, Euphemia, Rose Clark is a chore. All right, so that comes to us from Forbes. And if you're saying, wait, what? <sighs> Amelia Clark has replaced Amber Heard. Okay, so yeah, I mean, this is, it is written in Forbes. However, while there are more websites, like several websites now running with this as a story, that, it, that there are things that Amelia Clark is replacing Amber Heard and they're quoting that Forbes article, there's a couple of things you need to know about this Forbes article. First of all, uh, there's three things in particular, guys. Three points I want to make in general. Number one, if Amelia Clark was replacing Amber Heard as Mara in Aquaman 2, it would not be hidden 
in an article titled Game of Thrones actress Amelia Clark sells Venice, California home for $4.4 million. That's not your headline. That is not your headline. And Rob, you and I have talked about on several different occasions some apparent big piece of news. You remember, we've done this at least twice, that dropped in like in a variety article or something that was like buried in paragraph eight in some throwaway line. And yeah. like everybody's like, oh my God, did you see that variety wrote that? But you realize, listen, that was just an oversight by somebody doing something. And so we we look at this as if Amelia Clark was replacing Amber Heard, that is a headline story that is not buried in an article called Game of Thrones actress <clears throat> Amelia Clark sells house. That's it's not buried in there. So that's thing number one. Point number two is this. The writer of the article, Keith Flammer, who I I don't know. I don't know. Handsome dude, though. Gotta say, handsome looking dude. <laughs> um, but when I did a little bit more looking into Keith, his primary his primary writing for uh for Forbes is not covering movie news. When you go into his profile on Forbes, he primarily uh, is writing about real estate transactions. That's what he writes about. He doesn't actually know the movie industry. He writes about real estate transactions. And I'm sure he's very good at it. I'm sure he's great at it. The third thing, and probably the most important key thing about this, is there are some there were some people running around. Did you see Forbes said this? Yeah, but here's the problem. They're just catching on to something as I scroll up here. Something that was written on December 31st, two months ago. (laughs) So uh, all of that is basically to say this. Is it possible? Is it even remotely possible that Amelia Clark has been hired to replace Amber Heard as Marin Aquaman 2. It's possible. Sure. I, I, I'm I, not going to sit here and say it's impossible. It is. I mean, with all the drama surrounding Amber Heard, we know studios are trying to separate themselves from as much drama as possible and all that kind of stuff. It's possible. However, this was an article written two months ago by somebody who doesn't actually cover the entertainment industry. Um, and it's, it really it was a throwaway line in paragraph nine. I'm sure if this was legitimate, a Hollywood reporter, a variety, the rap, Entertainment Weekly, somebody else would have picked up on this thing by Forbes and ran with this story forever ago. Also, I'm sure if they were just replacing Amber Heard, Zack Snyder wouldn't have hired her to come in to help shoot reshoots and featured Amber Heard in the Justice League uh, Snyder Cut trailer. Yeah. So you you got to understand, over at Warner Brothers, Zack Snyder is in Amber Heard's corner. Um, uh, Walter Hamada is in Amber Heard's corner. The company seems to be in her corner. And I'm not arguing that they should be in her corner. I, I'm not talking about the shoulds or shouldn'ts of it. But the reality is Snyder, Hamada, and uh, not uh, yeah, uh, Hamada and, and the rest of the company are behind her and in her corner. So I, I think it is extremely unlikely, Rob, when you look at all the facts that lay out here, this is extremely, I can understand why somebody sees something like that on Twitter and piques their interest. But when you stop and look at it, it was a throwaway paragraph by somebody who doesn't cover the entertainment industry and it was written months ago. And then you, and then you look at the other stuff behind that. So possible. Yeah. I, I suppose it's as possible as anything. It's as possible as Jamie Foxx coming back to play Electro. 
So sure, but likely it, it's it's. I think this is something we could ignore. I don't know, Rob. You heard about this, and I guess number one, theoretically, Rob, what would you think of an Amelia Clark as Mara? But number two, what do you think the chances are that there's any legitimacy to this? Well, you know, I think she could be Mara. I I, I don't know. I like Amelia Clark a great deal, but you know, she's kind of got that. It, 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 when she's not playing Daenerys Targaryen, she seems so nice. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know if I could see her as the queen of Atlantis or the upcoming queen of whatever, the hard-ass, hard, I don't know, maybe. But, I mean, I like her, so I wouldn't object to that casting. But I don't necessarily, like you said, this is headline news. This is something her people would want spread around, and and, and I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened. I mean, if it's happened, it's already happened. You know, it would have been something that as they move into pre-production on Aquaman 2, everybody would know. But, um, you know, I, I I just don't see it happening, especially because she was brought back to, to do Snyder Cut reshoots. So if Warner Brothers didn't want anything to do with her or the studio had a problem, that would have happened already. I, I agree. Question is, guys. What do you think? I mean, I, I think it's fairly clear that there's nothing to see here. And, and again, the only reason I bring it up is because like my phone started blowing up with people asking about this. So I think it's pretty obvious there's nothing to see here. But I don't know. I mean, we again, we live in a world where Jamie Foxx is Electro. So, I mean, pretty much anything goes. What do you guys think about this whole thing? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down... Let's now move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Samuel uh, Rinhard, who writes, Hello, John and crew. So I had a thought. Ray Fisher has confirmed a few weeks ago that he was supposed to be in the upcoming Flash movie, but that but that's not happening anymore. So I started to think, do you think that they have replaced that role that Cyborg was supposed to have in this movie and instead put it in Supergirl? Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Really appreciate that. And here's the thing. So this is kind of built off of uh, well, the reason he's asking that question for some of you who didn't hear about this is saying, wait a minute. Why is he asking if Supergirl is replacing the Cyborg character? Well, the reason he's asking that is specifically because they just cast Supergirl. You know, Friday after the John Campion show was done, news came out that the Flash movie has indeed, number one, it's going to have Supergirl in it, and number two, they've cast Supergirl, and it has the actress Sasha, uh, I, I don't know, I've never heard her last name spoken, but she's a daytime Emmy Award nominee actress, uh, Sasha Cali. I'm going to pronounce it as Cali for now, and maybe it's Kale. Maybe I'll go with Kale for or, now. Or Kaye. Kaye? Okay, is, is, have you heard it said? Is that how it's pronounced, Kaye? I, I, no, I don't know, but if it's oh, okay. in Spanish. So once I hear somebody actually pronounce her name, I'm sure I'll get it right at that point, but uh, that she has been cast to play Supergirl. This comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who writes, The Flash director, Andy Muschietti, watched all the auditions, and I hear, along with DC film boss Walter Hamada and the producers, was blown away by the actress toughness and vulnerability that she brought to the role. 
I saw more than 400 auditions. The talent pool was truly amazing, and it was very hard to make a decision, but we finally found an actress who was destined to play this role. That comes to us from Andy Muschietti, the director of The Flash. So this is kind of like two stories in one, Rob. On the one hand, we have that they've got cast Supergirl. They're, like We heard a while ago they were probably going to bring Supergirl into the universe, so here we go. We've got Supergirl. It's not the CW version, of course, but we've got a Supergirl. Second goes to the topic that they were writing in to ask about. Do we think it's possible that due to Ray Fisher being removed from The Flash and they're not going to have Cyborg now, is Supergirl been made kind of a uh, replacement for that? Is, is the Supergirl character now a surrogate for the Cyborg character? The answer to that question is, we don't know. But Rob, I'll tell you, I find it unlikely. Um, if they had actually had like 400 auditions and, and think that Hamada Muschietti, the producers have all been involved, then this has probably been a process that's been ongoing for a while. So yeah. while it is totally possible that they were like, like a month or so ago, F, okay, so we're not got Cyborg. Okay, we need that character to be this in the movie. Let's replace that character with this other character. Let's get the the casting thing going. And maybe they did a rush process. And may, it, I mean, that's, that's not crazy unlikely. It is not crazy unlikely that they did do this, that they just brought in Supergirl to be a replacement for the Cyborg character. It's possible. It's, it's even not, again, like I said, it's not tremendously unlikely. But I think it is more likely that that's not the case, and they're probably just going to remove the cyborg character overall. And, and by the way, I don't think Supergirl or Michael Keaton or Ben Affleck or or Cyborg were ever destined to have big, huge roles in this movie anyway. So the removal of one of them probably isn't too terribly disruptive. Again, though, I'm just guessing. Rob, you heard about this. And number one, what do you think about the addition of Supergirl? And number two, do you think the addition of Supergirl was a direct response to the subtraction of Cyborg? What do you think? Well, I think it probably was a response to the subtraction of Cyborg. But on the other hand, I like this casting. Um, I, I think why I like the idea of going with the instead of the blonde Supergirl of the comics, make her more uh, like a Latina coming in with dark hair. I think that's interesting. I mean, after all, she's from Krypton, as Marlon Brando would say. So she can, look any, <laughs> we, she can look any way she wants. I think she looks like she's a fine choice. Um, and we're dealing with the multiverse, so, you know, who cares? But, um, yeah, I think it probably was. I think it's an interesting response. I mean, I think it adds storytelling possibilities and I think uh, Muschietti knows what he's doing, you know, as a director. And I think um, I think this could be a good thing all the way around. It's unfortunate for Ray Fisher, you know, but I mean, what's Warner Brothers supposed to do? It's 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 I, I mean, luckily, he's not been cut out of the Snyder cut. I, I, I mean, this very public acrimonious um, battle that he's been having with the studio, the studio, it, it ain't show friends, it's show business and business must continue. Uh, agreed. So question is, guys, number one, I mean, what do you think about the casting, that the fact that they're even adding Supergirl? Maybe you watch the soap opera uh, that, that this young woman's on. Maybe you've seen her work before. I have personally not. And do you think 
that the addition of Supergirl is a direct response to the subtraction of Cyborg, or do you think Supergirl was kind of in there along? I suspect one thing, but I want to know what you guys think. Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Kevin Finn. And Kevin Finn writes, Hey, John and Rob, I'm not quite sure the validity of this report considering John Watts is currently at work filming Spider-Man 3. However, the Daily Telegraph dropped an article about uh, Hollywood members on their way to Australia that Jennifer Lawrence is on her way to film Fantastic Four. I have difficulty believing production would start this early, but Natalie Portman also spent months in Australia before shooting for Thor. That is true, because Australia has a quarantine rule in place there. Anyway, do you buy into this report that Jennifer Lawrence will be in Fantastic Four? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, there has been a report that's starting part of the things that contribute. Remember I told you last night, also my phone, bing, 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 all the notifications going off. I started getting a lot of people asking me, is Jennifer Lawrence going to be Sue Storm? And at first, when I saw the first couple of subject lines in the emails coming in, I'm like, oh, well, why would they think she's being cast as, as that went on to find out. So what happened was, yeah, the daily telegraph, on top of the Daily Mail and a number of other outlets, and then, of course, Rob, you know how it works. One of these places writes something, 12 or 15 other blogs and sites start running with it, too, <laughs> and asking that Jennifer Lawrence is going to be in this thing. Now, this is what was written in the Daily Mail. The Daily Mailer writes, The Tinseltown exodus down under continues next month when Oscar winner Jennifer Lawrence is expected to, to, to arrive to film the latest Fantastic Four film, according to the Daily Telegraph. The paper reports that the Marvel superhero film franchise is set to bet down in Australia for the foreseeable future. Now, of course, this was kind of written in larger context of uh, a lot of Marvel production happening in Australia. And, and that's actually a very interesting topic in and of itself that we should talk about at some point. But is Jennifer Lawrence going to be Sue Storm? No, she's not going to be Sue Storm. Um, they are not getting ready to shoot Fantastic Four. Even with the uh, quarantine that you would have to be in in Australia for a lot of kind of stuff. John Watts, as our writer, the person who wrote in the question so so astutely put, John Watts is still making Spider-Man 3. And then once they're done shooting Spider-Man 3, he's got months of post-production to oversee and direct. And then they have to write a script for Fantastic Four, which they haven't even found a screenwriter yet for Fantastic <laughs> Four. And that has been reported uh, in many different press outlets over the last week that they have not had that they don't have writers yet. Yeah, they're looking for writers. They're so. still looking for writers. So once they've got the script written, then he's got months, if not six months to a year of pre-production to oversee on everything. And then they will cast it and then they will start the hard, long journey of actually making this thing. Now, Rob, this is not to say that it is inconceivable. Obviously not. There are examples of this where sure. there, where a casting has been made long before a script has been written. As a matter of fact, right in Marvel, Mahershala Ali was cast to be the next Blade long before a script for a new Blade movie was written. So, I mean, there, I mean, it's not normal that that's happened. Even in Marvel, that's not normal. But it does happen. 
but we are so far away from this. It's just, it gets into the ludicrous territory. So no, Jennifer Lawrence is not on her way to Australia to go shoot Fantastic Four. That's that's not happening. Now, in, in, in sight of that, it does raise the question, well, theoretically speaking, what would we think of Jennifer Lawrence playing Sue Storm? And Rob, I am a little bit of a torn mind and heart when it comes to that. A little bit of a torn mind and torn heart. Because there are two indisputable, undeniable facts. Indisputable, undeniable fact number one. Jennifer Lawrence is one of the most talented actresses on the planet. She is a four-time Academy-nominated actress and an Academy-winning actress. She, of course, won her Academy Award for Best Lead Actress for um, Silver Lining Playbook. She was also nominated for American Hustle. She was nominated for Joy, and she was nominated for Winter's Bone, all of which she was absolutely phenomenal in. She, she is a crazy special level of actress. Like if she, if acting power was a mutant power, she would be what Marvel refers to as Omega level. She is a ridiculously talented and gifted actress, no doubt. Fact number two is that not since watching Bruce Willis in the last 15 years of his career, have I seen an actor or actress phone in an effort like we saw Jennifer Lawrence phoning in her efforts in the last couple of X-Men movies that she did. Like in X-Men First Class, there was a novelty to it, and you could tell she was really she was into playing Mystique. But after First Class, you could tell she just didn't give a shit. I don't think she wanted to be there. Like every moment that I'm watching her on screen in either Days of Future Past or uh, Dark Phoenix, the only thing I could think of was she clearly doesn't even want to be here. She is not scraping together two ounces of urine to give an effort of these things. She simply didn't care about it anymore. But I think she probably signed one of those three film deals when she got the first class contract. So she was obligated to come back anyway. So, Rob, when I think about the potential of her being a Sue Storm, I'm a little conflicted because on the one hand, world class actress multi-Academy Award nominations, an Academy Award already sitting on her mental, and she'll probably get one or two more before her career is done. But on the other hand, I've also seen her go into a franchise, start off real hot and strong, and then very quickly lose interest. Granted, I've only got the one franchise as a sample size, the X-Men franchise. Fully acknowledge that. That is a very small sample size. But of the small franchise sample size I've seen, I've seen her be very excited to start and then completely lose interest. And so I don't know how I would feel theoretically. I'm a little bit torn. Rob, number one, and right off the top, do you think there is any validity to these whispers going around that she is on her way to Australia to film Fantastic Four? But then beyond that, let's get into the theoretical. Would you be interested in seeing a Jennifer Lawrence portraying Sue Storm? What do you think? Well, first of all, no, I don't think she's going to Australia to film Fantastic Four. I mean, I, I think that shows a the very idea of it shows a fundamental lack of understanding of how movies are made. And I think there's a lot of that in our fan community. Everybody thinks they know how movies are made, but the actual business of making films, no one goes, if, if where's the rest of the cast and crew? 
why is it just Jennifer Lawrence? Why yes. aren't we hearing about why aren't we hearing about the rest of the team? She's going to shoot the movie with as a Who's, selfie. She's going to hold up yeah. her camera and shoot it as a selfie. It's the Sue Storm uh, uh, origin story, just about Sue's life, you know, before she meets Reed. Um, and and I, it, it's uh, it's absurd. And where's the rest of the crew? Who's directing this movie, John? Who wrote it? Uh, we don't know. You can't make a big budget studio movie without a budget and a schedule, and you need a script to budget and schedule. If you don't have a script, I mean, not every movie can be Gladiator where they're literally making it up as they go along, and that usually doesn't work. That's a, that's a big exception to the rule. Two, do I think Jennifer Lawrence has been cast as Sue Storm? No, because if she was, Marvel would be saying that she was because she's an Academy Award-winning actress joining the pantheon of Brie Larson. Whether you like Brie Larson or not, She's an Academy Award-winning actress. And if the Marvel Cinematic Universe is scooping up Oscar winners like Mahershala Ali, like uh, Brie Larson, now Jennifer Lawrence, they are going to be showing this and saying, look, not only are we the most successful studio in the history of Hollywood with our 23 movies and now our hit TV show, we are also employing Oscar winners to be our superheroes. Uh, and they're not. They're not saying that. So. And you know, look, look, as much as my, my one apprehension side of, look, it, it, the one time she went into a comic book franchise, started strong and then finished off really, really weak because she clearly didn't care anymore. I, I would say this. If some magical djinn was able to come to me and say, John, I can make this wish happen. And if Jennifer Lawrence played Sue Storm, I can guarantee you she would take it very seriously, would be very invested, and would always, for as long as she's playing the role, give every ounce of effort that she has, like she has in her Academy films. I can guarantee you she will. I would probably feel very different. At that point, I, I'd be like, just like you were just pointing out about Marvel, adding another Academy-level actress, if I know she's going to give her best effort and not lose interest after one film, listen, I would love it. Now, that's not to throw away, I know a lot of people have their hearts set on John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, but, you know, be ready for disappointment. But that aside, if you were to tell me that a fully committed and invested Jennifer Lawrence is going to play Sue Storm, I would actually be very enthusiastic. I would actually think, okay, that's, that could probably turn out really good. Mm. But it's just that I I am apprehensive, Rob. I, I, I just don't know that she would stay invested in this. And in her mind, it would be a one and done one right. film. And then she'd want to get out. So, I, I mean, I don't know. That's how I'm just kind of feeling right now. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? Clearly, it is not true. She is not on her way there to sign up for this film and to start shooting this film. That is clear. What is more interesting, though, is the theoretical question. What would you think of her doing it? I myself am torn. World-class actress. In a comic book franchise, she seems to lose interest very quickly. So I'm a little bit torn. What do you guys think about this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. Once again, if you want to get in a live comment or question, simply go into the description of this video and click on the tip link, or you could enter it in manually at streammoments.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable. And of course, you'll be supporting this show at the same time. And of course, all of us involved with the show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. All right. 
let's get on and start taking your live questions now, shall we? We're going to start things off with Friday Night, who tips in like $20. Thank you, Friday, for supporting the channel on that level. What's up, John? Ran across your show in 2017 while researching for a script I was developing and been watching ever since. Well, thank you so much, man. It's good to have you here. I was going to wait till I get my platforms and community up before engaging, but couldn't help noticing nobody mentioning the Beyonder. Well, I mean, Rob, I guess that means which context are you talking about? Like, if you're talking about in terms of WandaVision or just in general? Rob, have you heard anybody talking about the Beyonder when it comes to, like, possible theories about WandaVision? Or do you think he could be just – is Friday Night just talking about something larger in general? What do you think? I think I think one of the, one of the uh, companion videos that you had me read had a few questions about the Beyonder. But beyond that, no. <laughs> like, I, just, I, I, I can't – look. Even when I was reading Secret Wars monthly as it came out, and especially if anyone has read Secret Wars 2, when the Beyonder in his jerry curl and his high white uh, disco jacket comes to Earth, uh, <laughs> I just can't see them. I mean, the Beyonder would, would, would be a character that would hang out with the Collector and the Grandmaster and Howard the Duck if they brought him into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Plus, he's limitlessly powerful. So, how do you? How, I don't even know. No, no, there's not going to be the Beyonder in WandaVision. Although, if there was, John, I'd kind of be there for it. All I'd right. It. But I don't think it's going to happen. But if the Beyonder showed up at the end and took Wanda away and said, We're going to go see the universe, I'd be like, Oh, I want to watch that show. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Next up, we've got Greg Scott Bailey who writes, Sam Robinson's topic, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I found myself liking the show, but at 60% like, 40% dislike. I still haven't finished the last season. I think deflated once the Ike Perlmutter aspects came out. Love the actors and uh, the base concept, but yeah. So I don't know why, but for some reason, people have been bringing up Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. again lately, which I think besides Inhumans, Inhumans is clearly the worst thing Marvel has done in the modern era. But aside from Inhumans, I think the next worst thing they've done is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But listen, there's no denying, and I certainly don't deny, that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has a lot of fans. And there are people who really liked it and got a lot of entertainment and joy out of it. And that's awesome. I, Rob, I never forget, though, that it was very interesting to me when I was at the big Disney Marvel event announcing Phase 3 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I was there at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood as Kevin Feige was on stage. You had, also, you had Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans with the new Black Panther standing between them on stage as they played tug of, tug of war <laughs> with Chadwick's arms. They were like, they were each trying to struggle as they announced Civil War. I was there. But one of the things I remember us talking about that really stood out was just how much Kevin Feige had no interest in talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., had zero interest in talking about any of that stuff. And then later we found out about really how much drama there was going on between Ike Perlmutter and him at the time and blah, blah, blah. And and uh, yeah, it was a show that I didn't like. I, I didn't like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I thought it was quite terrible. But there are a bunch of people who really do enjoy it and really did like it, and, and that's great. But I don't see them ever crossing agents of shield over into i don't think kevin feige understanding that background he never did reference anything in agents of shield in his movies and i don't think he ever will i don't know what do you think about all that look it's the same thing to me with 
with X-Men. It all comes, it all, in my mind, it's all part of the same thing. Kevin Feige has, he is the great architect of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He obviously has a great love of the comics. He is a long time, as I like to call them, imagination connoisseurs. He's a huge Star Trek fan. Uh, he, he knows how these things work. And if he didn't, if he wasn't there as one of the underlying architects of what it t- finally turned out to be, he's not going to go with it. And, and I think that part of the frustration he had is let he probably would have really liked to have been the architect of the uh, agents of shield TV series. And maybe he would have, or maybe because he didn't have total control, he was like, Nope. Uh, you know, Colson could be on the show, but because uh, I want him to work, and he's a friend of mine. But beyond that, I I just don't see that. Now people would say, "Well, but Rob, why is he allowing Evan Peters to be in uh, Wandavision?" And I'm like, because it's a good idea, and it was probably his idea. And for whatever reason, which hasn't yet to be revealed, we're going to see exactly how that Evan Peters thing plays out. But it was something that Kevin Feige came up with and had a vision, so to speak, for what he was going to do with that character, and that's why we're seeing him. And right. I think Kevin Feige only wants quality, man. If it's not up to his quality standards, you're not going to see it. There's going to be no Inhumans reboot anytime soon <laughs> that he doesn't create from the ground up. All right. Next up, Marie Seifring writes, yeah, all five seasons of The Muppet Show now streaming on Disney+. Plus, Dude, I still can't believe how excited I was when that news came out that Disney Plus was going to be putting the original uh, Muppet show including seasons that have never been released on home video i was very very excited about that i can't believe how excited the grown-ass man is about that but i'm with you maria i'm very stoked for that all right the wakanda forever writes okay seriously interesting to set the wakanda series in the past i'm not sure if they will continue the black panther storyline moving forward in the movies and use the streaming show to tell stories with different characters or is it all connected well i mean definitely for those of you missed it they did announce that they are, of course, going to be making a Wakanda Disney Plus series. Now, what is not clear right now is whether or not that series will take place in the past, whether it takes place in the present, whether it takes place in the five years between the end of Infinity War and Endgame when half the world was disappeared, if that's a time before T'Challa or a time while T'Challa was gone. It is very interesting. We'll see what happens there. My guess right now, Rob, is that they're going to move forward. They're going to look at Wakanda today in the modern context. I don't think, although it would be very interesting, Rob, for them to say, we're going to look at Wakanda after the snap when when T'Challa wasn't there. So there's your built-in reason why Chadwick Boseman isn't in it. And looking at it there, they could do that. But I I think the more likely thing is they look at, they're going to look at Wakanda now as it runs in synchronicity with everything else in the MCU. Rob, where do you think they're going to go with that? God, dude, I, I don't know. (laughs) I'm, I, I, I really don't. Watching this WandaVision show, John has made me rethink my entire position on, on where I thought the MCU was going to move forward Mm. because this whole th- the thing that i don't understand is once this situation has occurred the hex meaning the hex like how is that going to affect how the rest of the civilian population views what's going on are they going to cover it up you know or how many how many civilian people know that that westview exists and if that's care- if that's the case how is the 
how is the Marvel Cinematic Universe? We know Far From Home takes place after this this series. Seven months after WandaVision. Seven yeah. months after, but I'm like, how do you move forward after this wackiness has happened? Like, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what's going to happen in Captain Marvel 2. I don't know what's going to happen with Monica Rambeau. I, I don't know how we're going to move forward with Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness. I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of bad shit's going to happen that we're going to love, <laughs> but, but I don't know where it's going to go. All right, let's move on. Next up, uh, Friday night, who I guess this is part two of the one he had sent in earlier. He writes, I used to collect comics and even though I haven't caught WandaVision yet, the mysterious Loki like behavior sounds a lot like the Beyonders personality in secret wars. Uh, both Kevin Feige and Russo brothers both hinted uh, about it and can intro X-Men. Well, I mean, listen, there's, I think it's difficult for me to like, now that you say Friday night that you haven't watched any of the series, I would say, I don't think you would be saying that if you had been watching the series. So yeah, no, I, I I'm kind of with Rob on this. There's been nothing in this series so far to even remotely hint that Beyonder is going to be a part of that. And I think I might be wrong, but I think once you start watching the series, and you should soon, uh, I think you'll probably come to that same conclusion as well. But again, this is Kevin Feige. Anything is possible. So yeah. let's see where that goes, man. All right, I next up. I think he's too, too, too out there. I, I agree right now. But then again. I know. For me to say that's so weird. Then again, who knows? All right, Wakanda Forever writes, no matter what route Disney goes, if the Wakanda show is as good as WandaVision, we are in for a treat. I can't be more excited. Just quit calling it a TV show for us uh, Wakandans. It's a documentary. Uh, everyone stay safe. Love you guys. Wakanda Forever. I'll tell you what, Rob. That that brings up an interesting point. And I put out a tweet about this the other day because, you know, I've been very critical of Disney Plus for the first year. Because, yay, you launched with Mandalorian, and then we went an entire year without releasing any other premium content. There was yeah. a lot of filler content, some 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 good filler content. I'm not saying it yeah, wasn't. I think Hamilton was probably the best thing that they released. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, really, as far as premium content goes, they went a year without anything. Yeah. But now we've had Mandalorian Season 2. Now we've had WandaVision. We're coming up to closing WandaVision. And I'll tell you what. If Disney Plus, if they somehow can maintain the quality level. And I don't need everything to be as good as Mandalorian or WandaVision. You can be a little bit below that and still be really good. But if they can maintain that quality level of what we've gotten in Mandalorian season one and season two, the quality level that we've gotten in WandaVision, then, I mean, what the hell? I, I mean, if they can do, I'll tell you what, Rob, if, if we get through Falcon and Winter Soldier, and maybe it'll be great, maybe it'll suck, but if we get through Falcon and Winter Soldier, and it's hovering around the same quality level as WandaVision and Mandalorian, I, I mean, I, I don't know what's left to be said. I mean, that Disney Plus is going to be, I mean, it already is a force to be reckoned with, obviously, but it's, it's staggering to think about how good it could really be if they're able to maintain that quality output. I, I don't know, Rob, what are your thoughts on that? Dude, I'm I'm with you 100. percent I think that and look, this is based on only on the the quality of Wandavision, but the level of detail in this show, the care, to me, the care in with 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 which Wandavision has been produced, is very very telling. This is not something that has been half-assed or phoned in. This this is a list all the way. Every bit of this production, every thought that was put into it 
from the graphics and the ending credits to everything that we've seen in WandaVision. This is A-list, top-drawer, Tiffany Standard television. Now, it might not be quite your cup of tea, but if you look at it from objectively the level of the production value and the amount of thought put into it, it doesn't get any better. And and I think that, <clears throat> again, what Kevin Feige and Luis Desposito and Victoria Alonso, as, as, as the people that run Marvel Studios, have done is they've basically, they've, they've not only um, shown that they can make this kind of television, but I think they're planting a flag saying, this is our baseline. This is the first thing that you've seen from us, and it's only going to get better from here. You think they're going to do something half-assed that doesn't live up to the standards they're, they're setting with WandaVision? I think when we see Falcon and Winter Soldier, we're going to be like, oh my God, this is indistinguishable from an MCU feature. And I think they're going to do that moving forward. But what I think is really interesting is, you know, whether they do, I, I can't believe, I think I look at WandaVision and I go, how good is a She-Hulk show going to be? Hmm. I can only imagine how much fun that's going to be. And what really floats my boat, what really, uh, you know, fills me with uh, pulsating blood joy is the uh, idea of a Moon Knight series brought to us by these people. Oh, I know you've been, I hope that one doesn't let you down. Man. I, I, really I mean, do. I just think about what we're getting and, and if you like this stuff, John, this is the best of all worlds. You know, I mean, somebody once said that they compared the Marvel cinematic universe. They, they called it pop music. And what DC's trying to do is more alt rock, you know, or, or, uh, just rock and roll. And I'm like, this is the best produced pop music version of, of a cinematic universe we could ever pop. I mean, this is Quincy Jones level production value on a Michael Jackson album. It is the best of the best. And I'm here for it, man. All right. Uh, let's oh, hold on a second. I have to, I have to check this because, uh, and, Anne is expecting something very important. So yes, my phone goes off whenever I, uh, I have somebody at my door. So, okay. I, I see who it is. My wife will get that. Um, Sorry, expecting a big delivery today, so I'm keeping a very close eye on that. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, Trans Rights 2021 writes, Hey, John, I'm due to be playing a manic depressive in a play in the autumn. Well, that's awesome. Uh, in preparation, I've been reading bleak poetry and books, so you're trying to go the method route. I've been reading bleak poetry and books, listening to Morrissey and watching sad films. Can you recommend any depressing films? Ooh, depressing films. Well, I mean, it depends on your point of view. In some ways, Infinity War has a pretty depressing ending <laughs> with half of the life in the universe being wiped out. Um, I mean, I, I go to some some more like the, the class, some classic ones in the modern context. Like, I mean, for me, if you want to feel heavy, I mean, Schindler's List, if you want to send, I mean, yes, there's hope in all that kind of stuff, too. But you or the, that film Detroit that had John Boyega. In it, Detroit was like if, if you want to come, if you want something that leaves you feeling very heavy and kind of with a heavy heart, there's stuff like that. Um, I don't know, Rob. When you think about depressing films, is there anything that comes to mind for you? Well, yeah. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time was a movie called The Killing Fields that Roland Joffe directed. About it was up for Academy Award. The story of a of a of a man who was abandoned, left behind in Vietnam and had to survive the killing fields of Cambodia and eventually made it to the United States. I mean, this was some depressing, I mean, it was hard to watch, but it, of course it eventually ended well. But I think that, you know, looking at films that are depressing like that, that really put you in a, 
a mind frame can be cathartic in a way. Uh, there's a Russian war film called Come and See. That's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. That, woo, is that movie depressing. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Darren o, uh, Wilton who writes, Hey, John and Ann. Okay, so again, I need to reemphasize this. this if, since he's referencing Ann, he's probably sent this in um, for the uh, WandaVision spoiler discussion. Remember, guys, uh, on the channel... You use the tip link in the description below to send in questions for the John Campia show. And then you use the YouTube super chat feature for spoiler discussions and play in chats and things like that. But let's get to this right now. Uh, Darren writes, Hey, John, and I think that Agnes is going to reveal that she couldn't recreate Quicksilver from the universe because he was dead. So she took his image from an alternate universe. This will cause Wanda to tear a rift in the multiverse looking for Quicksilver slash vision. I don't, I don't think so because that, First of all, you just described the plot of Spider-Man, um, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Because Rob, that that was that was the the plot of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, Kingpin lost his wife and child, couldn't deal with it, started ripping open reality to try to find other copies of his wife and child. So they they've already kind of done that. Yeah. So I I don't I, I don't know about that, but listen, we've got to get some kind of explanation for the Quicksilver thing. To me, Rob, I was saying. That of the big questions that are remaining, how involved was Agatha in this whole thing? I, I think it's a limited amount, but that's a big question. Uh, what is gonna? What is going on with Vision? Is Vision truly not the real Vision? Is it something else? That's a big question. But to me, the biggest question here is still revolving around uh, this uh, Peter character, this Pietro, this Quicksilver, because. In this latest episode, we just had Vision confirm it's an imposter. We had Wanda confirm that this Quicksilver was a lie. But they also had an episode where Monica said, it's all Wanda. And now we know it's not all Wanda. So to me, this is still the biggest question that's hovering over WandaVision. Just quickly, if you had to say for you, what is the one biggest question still hovering for you? I think it's the Quicksilver question. What do you think is the biggest question still hovering? How did this happen in the first place? Right. That's my biggest question. I mean, if somebody has, let's say there is an outside agency, let's call it Nightmare, Mephisto, whatever you want to call it. The plan was to create this hex. And so Wanda could live in sitcoms that she watched in Sokovia as a kid. So they could create two mystical beings. They could steal and siphon off her magic powers. It's the most cockamamie Rube Goldbergian plan I've ever heard of. And I want to know what idiot came up with this and how did it turn into this craziness that isn't exactly happening in secret? I want to know what did they expect to happen here unless what they expected to happen hasn't yet happened. Right. And uh, like if they want to rip open the nexus to the worlds, I don't know, but I want to know why is this happening and why what was the reason behind it that's what i want to know because everything will fall into place from there and by the way i love that i have no clue we're two episodes away from the end of this we're, in two episodes we'll know the answer and i love the fact i'm usually pretty good at knowing where we're going john i have no clue yeah you and me both brother is going no I, clue i have no idea I have absolutely no idea. And I, I think when was the last time that happened? Uh, lost. 
and I didn't like the way that ended. But no. I mean, that, that was the thing loss, and that's the last. Honestly, that thing that's the last time where I had no freaking clue where this was going. That's no why it's idea. So much fun to watch this show. You're you're like, what wackiness am I going to get this week? Yeah. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, we got uh, Gibby writes WandaVision. I hope the cameo is not Doctor Strange. Maybe the cameo is a is a prior Spider-Man villain or they tricked us all. And it's a small part for a prior Spider-Man linking the universes. The next installment in the story is Spider-Man after all. Yeah, I, I think there's that. Again, I've been saying that I. Look, Doctor Strange showing up is a possibility. There's a lot of magic and everything going on here. Uh, Mordo and all that kind of stuff. But the idea that Doctor Strange is the big cameo, the Luke level, the, the Luke Skywalker showing up at Mandalorian level thing. Rob, this is the problem I've been saying about this. How is it a big deal? How is it remotely a big deal that a current, ongoing, active MCU character shows up in an MCU property. How, how is that a big deal? I, I think the same thing about Spider-Man. Okay, if Spider-Man shows up, that's cool, because, I mean, this movie does flow into the Spider-Man story. That's cool. But how is a current, active MCU character who is popping up in all sorts of MCU properties, popping up in this one, the big Luke Skywalker and Mandalorian level event? I mean, yeah, if, if Strange shows up, it's cool. But it's right. not it's not earth shattering. No, at, you'd expect I would expect yeah, him to. You would whether expect- it's Mordo, whether it's Strange, whomever. I, I mean, they would be the people that I would first expect. It would not be a shock. Yeah, I think that's the key too. It's, it's, it it uh, wouldn't be a shock. I think there is a character that we have yet to meet that is going to be introduced in this show, probably the architect of this plan, somebody that's unexpected. Somebody that has not been announced, somebody that we're not going to see coming unless you're going to go to certain sites that might have picked up on it in various ways. But for the most part, the general audience is not going to expect this person to show up playing whatever character they're playing. And it's going to be like, oh, my God, look who it is. I think that's what's going to happen. All right. Next up. We move on to, that was Gibby. Next up is Homelanders just hit my head. Uh, Ah, soup goop. All right. Hey, John, Batman and Superman were created 24 years before Spider-Man was. Do you think that both Bats and Soups are bigger than Spider-Man in terms of recognition and being more well-known? Also, who's the most iconic one out of them thoughts? Well, Superman is the granddaddy of all superheroes. I mean, that's just, I'm not saying he's my favorite superhero of all time. He's not, as a matter of fact. But Superman is the granddaddy of all superheroes. Spider-Man has a lot of global reach, though, especially since they spent so many years making kids programming for Spider-Man. Like, Rob, that's the big thing. We have not had years and years and years of kids targeted uh, Batman and Superman stuff. I mean, not really, but Spider-Man kids related content has been there. So you've got people all around the world growing up with them. So I don't know who today, right now, this moment is the more worldwide recognizable figure. But Spider-Man, and I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man will never be Batman or Superman. He'll never, he may be, he today, because of, of the modern trends, he may be a little bit more well-known than Batman or Superman today. But yeah, not. I mean, it's Batman and Superman. They're, they're the two. That's it. That, that, that's the two. And so I, I kind of see it that way. I don't know, Rob, how do you look at it? Well, I kind of feel exactly how, you know, you do uh, in terms of 
recognition. I mean, these remember also, these are characters that have been around for decades. I mean, you take Spider-Man, John. I was watching Spider-Man on the electric company when I was a little kid. You know, and and uh, I was learning when I was watching Sesame Street and the Electric Company, Spider-Man would show up. <laughs> and it's, I, I mean, we these characters have permeated our consciousness, well, our whole lives, really. And uh, even if you're at middle age now, you you know who all of these people are. I mean, they're part of our, they're part of the fabric of our lives. All right, next up. We've got I Love T writes, Michael Shannon's performance as Zod gets better every time I watch Man of Steel. Everything about Man of Steel gets better every time I watch it. I think uh, Man of Steel's Zod is the best villain out of both the DCU and the MCU. Man of Steel is a, or uh, Michael Shannon is a powerhouse and very underrated. Who wouldn't kill to see him as Zod again? Russell Crowe and Costner too. I mean, listen, Michael Shannon, Rob, I don't know if you ever watched... The thing that I was first really introduced to Michael Shannon was this HBO show called Boardwalk Empire. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my God. Michael Shannon in in Boardwalk Empire is crazy. Crazy and crazy good. I loved him in that. And when I found out he was going to be Zod and then I saw saw him play. Now, I, I won't say that I think his Zod is necessarily better than Heath Ledger's Joker. I won't say that his Zod is necessarily better than Thanos, but he's got to rank up there, especially when you understand the character. Because, Rob, I've pointed out in a video before that there's a similarity between Thanos and Zod. Both of them truly see themselves as the hero in their story. Because Zod, he sees himself as desperately trying to save his race. He's trying to save the Kryptonian race. He's trying to save their culture, their society, their entire race. And he sees Superman as like in the way of that. And he sees Superman as the villain. He sees Superman as being this maniac willing to risk and condemn the Kryptonian society and race to extinction forever and all that kind of stuff. And when you get to the heart of that, the way he portrays that rage and all that kind of stuff, oh my God, he just plays it so well. I don't know, your quick thoughts on Michael Shannon as as Zod. Oh, uh, he was, uh, dude, I mean, what's interesting is he didn't necessarily look like I ha- like I pictured Zod to look. To me, Michael Shannon seemed always like sort of an American character. Like just the way he, he I've always seen him as and the, the fact that he was cast, but he's always been kind of off. Like, and I love Michael Shannon. I love seeing him in interviews and things. But as Zod, like you said, he had a philosophy and he had a philosophy that if you think about it, that wasn't wrong. And, and you know, uh, uh, when you're from a society like Krypton and you're looking at a primitive humanoid society like Earth, you know, what does it matter if they're gone from the universe. I need my, I need the Kryptonians back, the greatest civilization ever, my, my civilization. What do I need these people for? And like, I never saw Zod, we see him as a villain because he wanted to exterminate all of us. But from his perspective, he's trying to bring back his dead planet. What's more noble than that? You know, saving, saving all of your planet's culture and uh, its history and its future. And Zod's mind, I'm a hero. You know uh, what also gets me about it every time? I I love this. When you go to the beginning of Man of Steel, and I could end up talking Man of Steel all day, but at the beginning, 
you realize that Zod and Jor-El are completely on the same side in many ways. They both understand what the ruling party of Krypton did not. Krypton was heading for disaster, and both Zod and Jor-El knew it was the Kryptonian ruling council that was to blame. They both knew that. Technically speaking, they were on the same side. And what's really cool about that scene at the end is they're condemning Zod. You're realizing, but he was right. And he's screaming at the ruling council and is like, blah, blah. And you realize he's doing all this and he's the villain. We just saw him murder Jarrell, but he's right. And he was right to blame the, I don't know. I could go on all day. I, I will not get soundtrack. I'm sorry about that. Uh, okay, let's keep <laughs> moving on, shall we? Next up, Shaun of the Dead writes, uh, maybe my favorite zombie movie of all time. Uh, I'm in the Zack Snyder fan group and looking forward to Justice League. I'm just curious, though. With Warner Brothers making both Justice League and Suicide Squad a mess with their interference, is there any studio interference that has made a movie better that you know of? Oh, the, here's the reality, Sean. This is the reality. Tons. The reality is tons. That's the reality. The, the big difference is this. Winning cures everything. Now, I, I've used this sports analogy before, Rob, but it is applicable here. When a professional team, when a professional sports team is winning, all you see is the good times. All you see are the high fives. All you see is here about what makes this team so good and so special. But when a team starts losing, you start hearing about the infighting in the locker room. You start hearing about the disagreements between the management and the coach. You start hearing about the quarterback doesn't get along with the coach. When, when you're winning, you never hear any of that stuff. All that stuff stays in the background. When you're losing, things come out. When movies go bad, you start hearing about interference. When movies work really well, you don't hear about any of that. Rob Peter Jackson uh, talks a lot about this thing. And it could because in many ways, listen, if Lord of the Rings, when Lord here's what here's what it is, Rob. When the movie turns out great, they call it collaboration. When the movie turns out bad, it's the same thing, but they call it interference. Peter Jackson talks a lot about like how much, like he got a lot of notes from New Line when he was making Lord of the Rings. He was making a lot, he's getting a lot of notes on that, but he refers to it, it was a great filmmaker studio collaboration that they they worked together and all that kind of stuff and it turns out great. If you don't know that this happens on most movies, then you don't know a lot about the business. It happens all the time. It's the studio's movie, it belongs to them. Now, does that mean they should get their fingers in overly? No, but... It happens all the time. Rob, obviously we have Christopher Nolan's where the studio will stay the hell out of his hair. Obviously you have Steven Spielberg's where the studio is going to stay the hell out of his hair. But for the most part, it happens a lot. It's just that when the movie's bad, they call it interference. When it's good, they call it teamwork and collaboration. I don't know, Rob, how would you answer that question? Well, I think you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right about that. And um, I've always hated, I've always hated that, that. I mean, movies are so any movie, whether it turns out great or whether it doesn't, are very, very difficult. They require collaboration amongst a great many people. But like you're saying, winning changes everything. And um, I, I, I've always hated when people disavow their work. 
uh, especially when you're making films, because I think it's disingenuous. Um, and I think, look, you want to take credit for when something goes great, great. But then be there and stand up for when your when your work might not uh, pass muster. And uh, so, yeah, but I, I agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. People you know, love it, a winner. What often comes up, too, is, you know, I, I love Sam Raimi. But what often yep. comes up is is Spider-Man 3, right? And everybody who are fans of Sam Raimi rushes to say, oh, the only reason Spider-Man 3 was bad was because the studio interfered and made him put in Venom. Yep. Guess what? Lots of movies from Avengers and everything on else. Lots of movies have studio. There is no studio that interferes more, Rob, than the MCU. Kevin Feige is intricately involved with everything in MCU movies. Now, he will stay out of filmmakers' hair, but he lays down the law. I remember the Russo brothers talking about this. He lays down the law right from the beginning. You can do this, this, and this. You can't do this, this, and this. And by the end of the movie, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, and this needs to happen. Now, now that I've set up your parameters, you can do anything you want now. You can do anything you want, just make sure those things happen and these things don't happen and this, this, and this need to be dropped in there along the way. If the movie turns out bad, people call that studio interference. With the Sam Raimi thing, they told them to put in uh, Venom. Lots of studios dictate who they think they want their villain to be. Then it's up to Sam Raimi and the director, okay, then make a good movie with Venom. I mean, that's what I always said. If the studio's forcing you to put Venom in your movie, then make a good movie with Venom. And and so, I, I don't know, it's... Uh, it's just a thing. Well, you know, thing. but to, just to speak to that, if you look at Spider-Man 2, the the relationship Peter has with Otto Octavius is it sets up a really great conflict between so the good. two of them. So good. And when you're looking at Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man 3 has Venom and Sandman. There's very little grounding those characters to the kind of reality we saw in Spider-Man 2. And I say reality with quotes around it, knowing that you know, Dr. Octopus and his his arms, a strained credulity. But both Venom and Sandman are, are total fantasy monster characters. They're, they're more in the realm of Ash fighting evil dead. Mm. And I think one of the things that that is is wrong with Spider-Man 3 is it, it played to to Sam Raimi's evil dead sensibilities uh, rather than the sensibilities he demonstrated when he made movies like A Simple Plan. And I think it just spun off into unreality and goofiness because we didn't have the grounding. The villains were not grounded. They were both right off the comic book page. How do you make how do you give the Sandman or Venom the same kind of of relationship dynamic that you had with Doc Ock and Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, which was very human very ground down to earth, very grounded, and we completely understood their conflict and what was happening. Whereas Sandman, they were they were like from a whole different realm, and and we're supposed to accept that as it, and it, it it would never have been the same kind of movie. I don't think it would have ever been as successful as as Spider Man Two, for that very reason, the very human connection between the protagonist and the antagonist. All right, next up, we've got uh, Sam who writes. Uh, thanks for your work, John. Fan from Mexico since back in the couch days. Oh, man, that's going all the way back, like to the earliest four-year consideration days. All right, Sam, thanks so much, man, and thank you for being along with us for that long of a ride, man. I appreciate that. All right, Mephisto Moon writes, 
at the end of the of the episode, there was a fly on the curtain. Yes. Uh, in the comics, Mephisto's first appearance was as a fly. Do you think it's just an Easter egg, or does this increase Mephisto's appearance in WandaVision? Love y'all. All right, Rob, so I've heard several theories about the that, that obviously very different-looking fly that was on the curtain. Some people believe Agatha turned one of the kids into that fly. Other people think that is clearly Mephisto. Now, look, I have not thought Mephisto was going to be a part of this. I mean, I said there is evidence there that it could that Mephisto could be in this show, but right now I lean against it. That Yo Magic commercial in episode six, that made me go, okay, maybe Nightmare or Mephisto are a part of this. And, and right now... I think if it's going to be either one of them, I think it's a coin toss as to which one it could be. But that Yo Magic one really did open up to me a lot of things. And that fly on the curtain opens up a lot of things. All the stuff in Agatha's basement suggests that we could see a Nightmare or a Mephisto. When you understand the connection of Mephisto to Wanda's kids in the comics, they could be using that as a thematic thing as well. Although, always remember, just because it's in the comics does not mean it's going to happen in the, in the shows or the movies. But... These are little pieces of anecdotal evidence, and I think, Rob, episode by episode, the chances grow. At this point, do you think Mephisto or Nightmare are a part of this? Because I, my mind has been starting to change a little bit. I'm not saying I'm there yet, but my mind has been starting to change. What do you think? Well, one of the things that people even forget to mention now, it's like I've never seen anybody make this connection, but Wanda and Vision put on a magic show in this show. Yes. I mean, they literally put on a magic show, and now we're seeing, quote unquote, real ma- a real magic show happening. That's why when I go back, I can't wait to rewatch this show again, because I think the, the design of this show, the, the, the full the plotting of it has yet to be fully appreciated. Because when I go back and think, like, how did this magic show play out? Were there was there something in Wanda and Vision's performance? Because we're just thinking, oh, it's a wacky it's a wacky talent show. As it turns out, there's a lot of foreshadowing in there. But I think there is another power yet to be revealed. Now, I'm leaning toward Mephisto only because of the comic. They've they've gone heavily, they've gone back heavily, as they always do in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, into the Marvel comic universe. And there's a lot of links to Mephisto based on things like the kids and all that. And I think, here's why I think that it's probably Mephisto. Because... Based on Mephisto or Nightmare, if they hire a big name actor, all right, somebody we don't know, their Luke Skywalker-like cameo, what better way than to have this actor basically come on and play a personification of the devil? I mean, whether it's Al Pacino in 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 Devil's Advocate, you know, that kind of a devil. Mephisto, if they hire an actor that we we haven't seen. Somebody, you know, like 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 De Niro or like Pacino. De Niro, they both played the devil. Uh, De Niro played him in in uh, Angel Heart. Spoiler alert! And of course, Pacino in Devil's Advocate. If they hired an actor like that to come on and be revealed as the man behind the curtain, people would love it. They would, and I think having an actor of that caliber play essentially the devil, I'd buy into that. You know, as far as the MCU is concerned, a character named Nightmare might be a little more difficult to pull off, but Mephisto has has a ring to it. And if it's a, and I'm not saying it is Al Pacino or, or Robert De Niro, it could be, but somebody of that ilk could show up and be Natalie dressed and 
look cool and be badass and it was all their plan all along. I think that could happen, John. I think that could happen. And I think we're going to see whomever that is, is going to be an actor of some note that we have no idea that they're coming. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Friday Night who writes, uh, hey, Feige, if you're listening, here's your chance. Of course, Feige. Oh, by the way, I got a story to tell you, Rob, off camera. Remind me remind me that I have something to tell you that I found out this weekend off camera. Anyway, um, if you're listening, here's your chance. Have the, beyond, have the Beyonder to fly in, point his finger at the loopholes, Mr. X, laugh and say, yeah, it's, that's me. As an added bonus, take a handful of characters and throw them in the, an arena against the X-Men, LOL. Well, again, Friday night, I yeah, really I think you should really watch the WandaVision season first before developing these series. And I'm not I'm not gonna ruin anything for you. I'm not gonna ruin anything for you, brother. But I would say you might want to go back and watch some of those things and see where we're at right now. Uh, all right, next up. Uh an anonymous viewer writes, Yes, I know I'm reaching. Uh Oh, you forgot to put in your name, so I don't know what two of two is. Yes, I know I'm reaching, but the way things are going, maybe. Plus, from what I remember, oh, we're still at, at night. Uh, so when I remember, the Beyonder would spy and analyze worlds before interfering, then make a mess and leave, right? The perfect crossroad fight uh, event into a mutant universe. Again, I think everybody's too obsessed with the idea. Like, Rob, again, I, I've been talking about this for a while. Every single MCU thing that has come out since the Fox merger Portions of the fan base have been insisting this is going to be where the X-Men come in. The new, a new movie comes out. This, this, this is the one the X-Men are coming in, and then they don't. Then another MCU movie comes out. This is where the X-Men coming in. I've talked about this, but it's true. Everybody pretends like it didn't happen, but some of you remember this. When the first images of, uh, of um, uh, Thanos came out, and he has those three scars down his face, all the websites running. Confirmation, Wolverine. Wolverine, this is confirmation. Three three scars on his face. That's Wolverine. That means X-Men are coming in now, and then they never did, and we continue to do that with WandaVision. Now, the longer it goes, the more and more likely it becomes that eventually one of these things will be the thing that introduces X-Men. Like The longer we go, the chances increase because we're getting further. We're now three years since the Fox merger. Three years since Kevin Feige said, five years until I bring in mutants. So it's getting closer, but yeah, I, I, I still don't think we're there yet. But then again, I'm starting to waver on my Quicksilver thoughts. Uh, so I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. All right, next up, uh, Philly G writes, I wonder if that book is possibly missing from the library of the first Doctor Strange movie. Love Agatha, Agatha's theme reminds me of the monsters. That's the big theory right now, Philly. Now, there were some people who thought at first, and understandably so, because I kind of did at first too, that that book that we see in Agatha's basement was possibly the Darkhold, uh, which of course did appear in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. However, when you pull up an image of the Darkhold from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you pull up the image of this book, they are clearly not the same book. But I think there is a very good chance, Philly, that this book, whatever it is, was probably taken from that Doctor Strange library. All right, William uh, Whaleman, uh, Whalem K. writes, Hey, John. Uh, pertaining to your comment about why Vision doesn't wake Darcy up right away is, is I think the last two times he did that, both characters kind of freaked out. So maybe he was trying a different approach this time. That's actually a very good observation. Rob, somebody brought up the question about in the last episode of WandaVision, when he finds Darcy, why does he bother trying to have a conversation with her? Why not just walk up to everybody and go, zoink, zoink, zoink? I mean, why doesn't Vision go around and start fingering everybody? 
That may not have come across the right way. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um... <laughs> There's a T-shirt well. there somewhere. WandaVision. Vision fingers, everybody. But... Uh, but I think they just bring up a really good point that maybe he's like both times he did it, it was kind of traumatic and maybe he thought he would try to ease into it. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think, remember, uh, Vision is also uh, perplexed about what's going on. Like all of this, he doesn't know. Like you said, he hasn't been, he's not in his right mind. It's not like he's thinking logically and it, all of this is crazy to him and, and he's trying to figure it out. So I don't think that he's really... Uh, logically going, well, let me start by doing these things. He doesn't, he's freaked out. You know, he's, he's in a, maybe he's panicking for what's going on. I, I just think that, you know, he hasn't, he isn't using like deductive reasoning at this point because, uh, he's, he's just, what the hell is happening here? What's happening to me? Am I alive? I don't remember. Uh, Agatha Harkness told me I'm dead. Like what's going on? Who are you? I, I mean, we're, we're expecting him to think in his right mind, and I don't think he is in his right mind. I don't think he has been since the show began. Yes, I don't know why I'm still thinking about it. But you, it sounds like something, the thing I just said, it sounds like something, you know, in Doom Patrol, if this was Doom Patrol, Doom Patrol would 100% have a character that in order to save people, he's got to walk around and finger them. I'm just saying, Doom <laughs> Patrol would do that. But it would make for a very, very different Disney show now that I think about it. Very different Disney show. <laughs> oh, dude. <All> right. <laughs> and what saves the ice, day? <laughs> what saves the day? Vision fingering people saves them. What? Okay, anyway. There. Finger. There we go. Michael Giles writes, um, hey, John, I've been watching since uh, the AMC Collider turnover. Thank you so much, man. I miss the old crew, but love your dedication to producing the best darn movie related YouTube show on the planet. Thank you, man. Uh, thanks for your dedication to Top Shelf Service. Take care and God bless. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Especially, I, I appreciate when everybody writes in, but especially when people want to write in just to say something nice and supportive. And I appreciate that, Michael, very, very much. And thanks for being around that long, man. All right. Next up. Gabe Axe writes, you mentioned Jeepers Creepers in the WandaVision Episode 7 review, but only the first two films. A third one was made a few years ago. That is true. That goes between the first and second film. Same director, writer, who's problematic, uh, but made an enjoyable flick. I recommend it. I, I can't even remember now, damn it, if I did watch that one. Now, again, of course, the you can look up the drama yourself, but yes, the director of, of that is very problematic, yes. Um, I love the first Jeepers Creepers. I love that movie. I'd say it's in my probably my top five favorite horror films of all time with wow. just Justin Long. And I love that movie. The second one was a joke. I mean, I, I didn't like the second one. At all, and I can't even remember if I ever did get around to watching the third one, Gabe. I don't remember. But that first one, if you haven't seen Jeepers Creepers with Justin Long, I do recommend it. It is a fun, uh, a great villain, the creeper. It's just it's a really great movie. If you have a chance, you should go and check it out. Uh, OK, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, WandaVision is good, but absolutely think this week's episode had pacing issues. Uh, before the big reveal, another 10 minutes of good content leading to that would have helped. The reveal seemed very disjointed and like it came out of nowhere, too campy. I, I respect that, Anonymous, but I disagree. I thought yeah. the pacing, if anything, Rob, one of my complaints about WandaVision, and I'm loving this show. I am loving it. But one of my complaints about the show is it's too quite often most of it is too frantically paced like it's like this happens and 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 i feel like the show really needs 
a, a lot of the events and things in the show need more room to breathe. And so, like, when I say I think these episodes should be longer, like, some people say to me, oh, but John, did you just say they should just throw in filler? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I think this is a little bit overly frantically paced. It's awesome. I'm loving it. But I think that if the episodes were given a little bit more room to breathe with the things that do happen in it, I personally feel like it would be even more satisfying that is. Again, I'm not complaining. It's great. But I just think, mm. I feel like it was a little bit, again, given more room to breathe, I feel like it would be even better. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about that? Well, you know, judging by my, from myself and the way we've been talking about this show, I think I think our fan speculation, as much as I've enjoyed it, has actually done our ourselves a disservice because it's become like we're waiting for these shocking revelations. We've built ourselves up to be waiting for these revelations and we're missing out on all the little things, all the details, every single exchange, like Evan Peters talking to Wanda, um, uh, these little tiny things going on. There's so many, every, it's every dialogue exchange has implications. And yet we're all waiting for, let's get to the revelation, get to the revelation, get to the revelation. And we've forgotten how to just sit back and, and enjoy the whole thing and let it wash all over us. And I think that's because we did that to ourselves. We're now just, we're expecting these revelations, which is, I don't understand why. Where did we get to the point over the last two or three episodes where we're expecting, we, we've we made this up in our own minds. And so we're kind of waiting to get to the revelations. And I think we're, we're and like you said, sometimes it is really frantically paced, but now the pacing is is like, just get to it. I just want to know, give me the, give me the revelation. And I think that we got to, that's why I can't wait to watch this show again, because I think once we go back and we already know the story and we can really watch and see how it was all put together without waiting for these big revelations, but to just let it wash all over us, I think we're going to find the show is even better because of how many things they were telling us. And we didn't know what they were telling us at the time, like the magic show with Wanda and Vision. But I do think, like you said, it's got these, and the pacing issues are, I think, baked in because on one hand you're in the WandaVision inside the hex and outside the hex. So those are two different kinds of storytelling methods put together. And then when you're going in and out of one, it gets a little, the pacing kind of jerking you around. And I feel that more so as we move into the show further and further and further, because we're not, we're jumping in and out of different pace realities paced differently than the hex. It's wild. It's a wild thing to be dealing with. All right, Rob, I know we've kept you over time again here, but thank you so much for being here. By the way, can can we you are now free to publicly talk about this project you've been working on, yes, and what yes. is out there now for people to watch. I've been hearing about this for ages, so excited for this. But Rob, on top of Tango Shalom, you've yes. been working on another property for the last while. And and, and yes. tell everybody about it before we let you go. Tell everybody briefly about what's going on here. So for those of you who might not know, there is a game called Dota or Dota 2, Defense of the Ancients. And it was a game that was derived from Warcraft 3, this map making scenario. But it's a game, you know, it reminds kind of people it's medieval. It's a medieval melee game, you know, League of Legends, maybe even a little Fortnite in there. But it's popular. 15 million people play it worldwide. And I have been working on the animated series pretty much in secret. Nobody knew anything about this show getting made, nothing. 
And I've been working on it for the better part of two years. And uh, Netflix announced uh, last week, they had an announcement trailer. Then Friday, the actual teaser trailer for the show dropped. And it is an eight episode. It's going to be a multi-season uh, uh, show, but the first season's eight episodes. It drops March 25th. I was one of the animatic editors on this on the film, which means I would edit the the animatics that were then later sent to be finally the final animation. So I was working with showrunner and creator Ashley Miller, who I've known for years. I was a producer on Agent Cody Banks, and I brought uh, was one of the people that brought him and Zach Stentz on to write Agent Cody Banks. They also Ashley also wrote X Men First Class and Thor. And he worked as a producer on Fringe. And of course, uh, the most important credit on his entire, on Ashley's <laughs> entire resume is he appears in uh, movie trailers, A Love Story. Most important yes. credit he's got, obviously. Yes. No. And and he's been in, in the industry producing television and movies for a long time, for over 20 years. And so he was, it was funny, he'd never worked on an animated show before. And he he didn't even know if he could do it. And he did it. And he called me up and asked me if I would help out. And I did, and we've been working on the show. And I, I didn't know anything about Dota, but as we would do these episodes, I'm like, this is like one of the most sophisticated, in-depth, animated shows I've ever seen. And it was uh, the animation was all done by Korea's Studio Mir, and it was really interesting. During the pandemic, when I'd work on these episodes, we would send what I would finish here, like right where I'm sitting now. I was editing these animatics, and they would go out of my computer right to Korea. And then they would animate the episodes and we'd see them like six months later. <laughs> and it was, it was crazy. But finally, you know, I couldn't tell anybody I could say, I, I obviously I never told you what it was and I didn't, I couldn't say what it was, but it was announced and it's called Dota Dragon's Blood. And it has an incredible voice cast. A lot of people know Yuri Lowenthal, who stars as Davion, the Dragon Knight. He was Spider-Man in the PlayStation Spider-Man game. And, uh, there's a, an incredible voice cast of of genre fans and uh, that are going to recognize horror fans especially and it's just been really really fun really really and now I can finally talk about it and we get to more importantly we get to see it on March 25th it drops on Netflix all eight episodes can can you tell are are you allowed to say like kind of what the the premise is for this one yes okay well there there is i don't want to really ruin anything but imagine a land, you know, not unlike Middle Earth or not unlike Westeros or something. And there is, there are various powers manifesting themselves in areas around this land, including dragons and uh, factions. And there is a, let's call him an entity, I'll call it Terror Blade is a character that is interested in reshaping the entire universe in his own image and begins a path to do just that, that affects everybody in this land. And it goes from there. Well, Rob, listen, I, I am, you know, I've been so excited for you, like with, with Tango Shalom and uh, knowing that you had this other project that, that is now we know is, is Dota. I've been so excited for you and congrats on that. And we will of course talk to you again tomorrow, my friend. So yes, you sir. have, have a good one. And uh, thanks for joining us today, man. Have a Absolutely. good one. Absolutely.
I'll see you tomorrow. All right, guys. That is the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Do go and check out the trailers for his uh, Dota's Dragon's Blood Netflix series. And, of course, go and check out his trailer for uh, his really great-looking Tango Shalom uh, as well. Both of those look great. All right, guys. We still have a bunch of time here, so let's keep right on rolling with all of your questions, shall we? We're going to keep things going here with Jay uh, Silva, who writes. What did Jay write? Hey, John and crew. Greetings from the Netherlands. Well, thank you, Jay. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it mentioned somewhere that the total runtime of WandaVision would be six hours? So could this mean that the runtime of the final two episodes may be longer? Yeah, there was... I told everybody that there was this report going around that, oh, the last three episodes of WandaVision are going to be an hour long each. And I'm like, don't buy that. I mean, look, it was said at one point when asked, how long is WandaVision? They say it's like a six-hour movie. but Everybody took that literally, that it's six hours. Now, that could mean five hours and 40 minutes. It could mean, um, it could mean you know, six hours and 10 minutes. It could be whatever. So everybody said, well, they said it's a six-hour movie, and it's kind of been about three hours so far. So that means the last three episodes of WandaVision are going to be an hour long each. You guys all saw those headlines, right? Last three episodes of WandaVision are all an hour long each. And what happened? Well, the last episode came out and it wasn't an hour long. It was 38 minutes, which is fine. That said, I do believe that the last two episodes will be longer. Now, whether that means they're going to be an hour long each or maybe episode eight will be like 40 minutes and then maybe episode nine will be like an hour and 10 minutes. I mean, I don't know. But I do anticipate that the last two episodes of WandaVision will probably... Now, I don't have any insider information on that. I'm just saying I do believe the last two episodes will be longer, Jay. So let's find out. All right, next up, uh, we've got Justin Danford who writes, I'm fearful of, of standard ending. Agatha wants to feed on the twins and Wanda isn't strong enough to stop her while powering the Hex. She'll have to release the Hex, killing Vision again to save them. He'll say, for the children, and she'll let go. Well, that would be, that would be interesting. That would be an interesting ending. Like I right now, I believe, uh, and by the way, strange Marvel theory sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you. Strange Marvel theories. Appreciate that. Um, I, I believe not from any insider information. I believe this show will end with vision gone again, Quicksilver gone again, a fake or real Quicksilver, fake or real vision, fake or real children. They'll be gone again. And it will end with Wanda being very, very broken. I fear they may go more of a stereotypical cookie cutter paint by numbers superhero ending and just have no, all the heroes join together and they beat the bad guy and save the day. Yay. Which is great. It's great. I eat up a lot of those films, but kind of been hoping that this one would end a little bit differently. And iconic reactions also sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you. Iconic reactions. Um, but uh, we'll see, man. We will see. Your theory is, is not a bad one, too. Your theory is kind of in the middle there, Justin, so I like that. All right, next up. Uh, Disneyland Dave writes, uh, Hi, John, and maybe Rob. Just missed Rob. Uh, what are your thoughts on WandaVision, on, on my WandaVision theory? Pietro is one of the first through the crack in the multiverse. Well, that's kind of the popular theory right now. That is caused by the hex, and the big reveal is Deadpool at the end, making fun of us for all of our big reveal theories. Again, I, I am... I am starting to waver on my Quicksilver thing that I think he's just an imposter. John, why are you starting to waver? Because Vision said he's an imposter. 
And whenever the show confirms one of my theories, like Wanda was in control of everything, remember, Monica confirmed that. Monica said, it's all Wanda. As soon as they confirm one of my theories, I start to doubt my theory. Because you guys remember that, right? Like when, when Monica said, it's all Wanda, I was like, oh, that probably means my theory that it being all Wanda isn't true. And so I've been thinking from the beginning, this Quicksilver was a fake. Now I'm not so sure. We'll find out. But Deadpool being a fourth wall breaker would be kind of funny. All right, Russ Papia writes, hey, John, here's one more theory. What if Westview is a town full of witches like Salem? Oh, so you think this is like New Salem in the comic books? So in the comics, if I remember correctly, and uh, by the way, Extreme Nation uh, sends in a uh, super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Extreme Nation. Um, in the comics, there's this place called New Salem that was kind of like a safe haven for all the sorcerers and witches and everything to get together. So what if Westview is a town like that, Like, is like New Salem? Is this all headed towards an homage to American Horror Story Coven in one of the final episodes? Is that why Evan Peters is in it? No, no, they're not. No, this is not in any way, shape, or form an homage to American Horror Story. Uh, That I can absolutely guarantee you. But the idea that Westview is very specifically chosen, maybe because it is the live-action version of what New Salem was in the comics. Again, just because it's in the comics does not mean it's in the live-action things, but they may borrow thematics, some themes. Like, what if what if that's the case? This is kind of like a New Salem where everybody there was kind of involved in witchcraft or something, and maybe the nexus of all realities. It's a good theory, man. I, I don't know that I buy into it, but it's a pretty good theory. All right, next up, Russ Pappy also writes, Dear John, I really wanted Reed Richards to show up in episode seven. John Watts is directing both Spider-Man three and fantastic four. Do you think there'll be any crossover angles or appearances since he's directing both? Is it wrong of me to hope so the fandom? Um, it's not wrong of you to hope so. Listen, we know this, everything in the MCU is interconnected, right? Somehow, some way in one way, shape or form, everything in the MCU is all connected. So John Watts directing, I mean, even if John Watts wasn't directing Spider-Man and Fantastic Four, the very real possibility exists of some crossover. I mean, Falcon showed up in Ant-Man, right? Let's not forget about that. Falcon just randomly shows up in Ant-Man. So yeah, that, that's a possibility. I, I don't know how high the likelihood is, but it's absolutely a possibility, Russ, and it's not wrong of you to hope so. All right, uh, next up, uh, Russ Papi also writes, Dear John, do you think that there could be alternate versions of characters in the multiverse? For ex- an example, is this an evil parallel universe Quicksilver? Another example, could we see parallel universe with a bad Tobey Maguire and good James Franco? I, no, I doubt it. I doubt it. See, here's the interesting thing, though. You remember that in Spider-Man Far From Home is where they coined the phrase multiverse, right? Talking about what happened when the Avengers, like, remember the way Endgame described it. Every time the Avengers went back in time, they were creating an alternate reality, an alternate timeline, right? So when they would, when they went back to New York, they actually created a new separate timeline that didn't directly influence or affect their current reality. But in those timelines, everything is exactly the same. The characters all look the same. Good guys are good guys. Bad guys are bad guys. What happens after those points is up in the air. So this idea that, oh, you could get a completely different looking guy that happens to be the same. I I don't know. That seems inconsistent. But 
this is all, they're all kind of making this up as they go along a bit. I mean, this is an evolving thing. And we will see what they do. So with it being Kevin Feige, Russ, all I'll say is that anything is possible. It, it very well could be. Uh, Russ also writes, I believe that the Fox X-Men are coming. I really don't. I think that they are in an IP that Disney acquired for films and continual Disney Plus programming. Evidence, Stuart meeting, dead, Stuart meeting Deadpool's eventually eventual debut. Evan Peters, it's all about more content and subscriptions. Again, I really don't think they're going that route. Because if you do, you can never have Wolverine. If you say this is now the Fox X-Men... Well, now you're saying we're going to have X-Men without the absolute 1,000% most popular X-Men character there is, and that is Wolverine. And so they would have to basically do it without Wolverine because Hugh Jackman's not coming back to play Wolverine. Um, You'd also have to bring along with it all the baggage. The X-Men franchise, the last number of years, became a failing franchise. After, like Logan, aside from Logan... You had X-Men Apocalypse, which is a huge drop in quality and a huge drop in box office. Then you had X-Men Dark Phoenix, which was another big drop in quality and another big drop in box office. We have seen in the last number of years X-Men become a failing universe. Do you think Kevin Feige is going to bring back Michael Chiklis to play the thing? Oh, I, and I love Michael Chiklis, don't get me wrong. But do you think they're going to bring back failed versions of Fantastic Four? Nah, he's, he's going to start his own. And I really do think he's going to start his own thing. But again, I pointed out myself, let's not forget that Kevin Feige met with uh, Patrick Stewart. I mean, there are still unanswered questions. Like I'm sitting here saying that, no, I do not believe it makes no sense that Kevin would want to bring in the fantastic, the, the, um, uh, the Fox X-Men. It makes no sense. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that there was a meeting between Patrick Stewart and Kevin Feige. That they are going to bring in Deadpool, though Deadpool is a very unique character and he was always kind of separate from the X-Men anyway in the movie, so that's kind of a different, that's a horse of a different color. But I acknowledge there are still some unanswered questions about things and that's why we always say, Russ, anything is possible. All right, next up. It's all Wanda rights, one of four. I believe Agatha is just a random person from Westview under the influence of Wanda and playing a role like all the others. So is fake Piet- So is fake Pietro and the people in the commercials, by the way. We know how meta this show can be, so follow me here. Every, every final battle she's been a part of has ended tragically. In her own world, Wanda will finally become victorious. She and Vision will reconcile their differences and team up to defeat a, a cackling supervillain intentionally created by Wanda. Interesting. Agatha has her own evil lair for Pete's sake, and she's a dark reflection of the hero, a common trope and criticism of many Marvel films. Also an interesting observation. They will have a typical third act MCU battle. Wanda and Vision will save their kids and live happily ever after. Wanda constructed the perfect show, one with nostalgia, drama, twists and turns, comedy, romance, redemption, and an ultimate evil to vanquish. But we know it won't last. In episode nine, we will get the true ending. Love the show. Listen every day. Well, thank you so much for that. It's all Wanda. And you know what? I love your theory. I love your theory. Now, I'm not saying I now buy in. I think that's what's going to happen in episodes eight and nine. But I do love your theory. What if this whole Agatha thing is just an extension of the character Wanda is having her play? 
Because you're right. Deep, secret, evil lair underground. She is kind of the reflective opposite of it. We saw that with Iron Man. He had Warmonger. Ant-Man had Yellow Jacket. Um, Doctor Strange had Cassilius. Like, all these movies, the villain is kind of like the reflective opposite of our hero. What if Agnes... What if the Agatha Harkness persona is just the extension of the Agnes character? That Wanda has orchestrated this Agatha thing. I love it because it's that is not a theory I've heard before. I have not heard that theory before. It's not bad because here's why it's not a bad theory. It fits. Like if Kevin Feige... And the folks behind WandaVision do that. It does fit logically. It does connect dots. Just because dots connect does not mean that's what it's going to be. Lots of things that it's not going to be have dots that connect. But it does connect dots. If if they were to do it, for argument's sake, if they were to come out and say that we discover this is all Wanda orchestrating this, she orchestrates the Agatha Harkness character as an extension of Agnes so that the good guys can team up, but only then at the end we find out it was all her doing. That logically is not inconsistent with the other things we've seen in the show. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm buying into it. I'm not saying I'm buying into it, but I am saying I love the theory. That is a, a, a different level of thinking on that. It's all Wanda. And it very well could be, like I said, I haven't heard anybody else offer that theory before. I like it. I like it. I'm going to talk about that more when we hit Thursday for the pregame show. And guys, once again, in case you do not uh, don't know, not only on Fridays do Ann and I do our spoiler discussion for the latest episode of WandaVision, but now on Thursdays before uh, the new episode of WandaVision drops, on Thursdays we now have our WandaVision pregame show. Uh, that's right, a pregame show. Uh, so we we did our first pregame show this past week, and it was a lot of fun. I had a really good time doing it. So don't forget, Friday, yes, of course, we have our WandaVision spoiler discussion. But I'm going to bring up this theory again that you just said it's all Wanda on the pregame show on Thursday. I think I'm, yeah, I think that's pretty good. Okay, anyway, uh, let's move on. Um, Alex uh, Phillips writes, I feel like Wanda is going to be used like a big-ass battery to pull a villain from another dimension, and that villain will be the big cameo actor that everyone is looking forward to. Would also justify Doctor Strange being involved in the next films. All that is true, Alex. Listen, you go back down. If we go back to the last episode, right? If we go back to the last episode and we go back to this book, right? This book was clearly important because not only like there's a lot of stuff in the background of Agatha's lair, right? There's a lot of stuff sitting around in the background, some very interesting things, but nothing did the camera stop and focus in on like it did on this book. And not only was it focusing on the book and no, it's not the dark hold because you can pull up an image of the dark hold and it looks very, very different from this book. So this isn't the dark hold, but they clearly focus in on the book It's like bursting with power and it even moved a little bit. So I think the theory and the idea that she's trying to siphon power, because remember, go back to that commercial from episode six. 
When I'm hungry, I feed on yo magic. Yeah, maybe they're trying to, to siphon power off of Wanda to do something, and maybe that could lead to that popular theory, Alex. Let's see if that's where they go. I'm not sure if it is, but let's see if that's where they go. Uh, next up, uh, Vic Von Doom writes, Greetings from Latveria, John and Rob, if he's there, just missed him. What if Baron Mordo is behind everything in WandaVision? He did say at the end of Doctor Strange, I see what's wrong with the world. Too many sorcerers. Uh, Love your show. Keep up the hex. Thank you for that, Vic Von Doom. And listen, I've mentioned that a few times, right? We know that this WandaVision is connected in a story arc with Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange 2. We know that Mordo, played by the great Chiwetel Ejiofor, is going to be in that film. And of course, he was Mordo in the first one, and he ends by saying, too many sorcerers, here's the problem. So so I, I think it would make sense that Mordo shows up, if he does. The problem, of course, is that he's after sorcerers. Scarlet Witch, Wanda, isn't a sorceress. Now, we did hear Agatha saying, like, call her a fellow magic user or whatever, but really... Her powers were were granted from the Infinity Stones, and she's not really casting spells, though her nickname is Scarlet Witch. In this MCU, she's not really a sorceress. She's not a witch. So why would Mordo be after her? And I don't know. It brings a question. Now, uh, Michael Giles is saying in the live chat, John, that's a technicality and, and maybe semantics. True, true. But technically, it is literal. She is not a sorcerer. Mordo didn't say he's after anybody with superpowers. He said he kind of implied he's going after sorcerers. Wanda's not a sorcerer. As a matter of fact, in the MCU, she's not even called the Scarlet Witch. She's never been called the Scarlet Witch. Right? So that's not even her name in the MCU. So they could go that route. I won't be shocked if Mordo shows up. I'm just saying that's the one thing that kind of holds me back from thinking like, yeah, that's a real possibility, but it is possible. It's possible. All right. Uh, Next up, uh, Gerardo San Diego writes, regarding WandaVision, I also think that it'll be a good guy's uh, win ending, but wouldn't it be great if Bruce Campbell showed up, no chainsaw, of course, to secure that damn book? Uh, It would be a good exhale for all of us who went through this journey. Hey, listen, I'll tell you what, if it was Sam Raimi directing this, I wouldn't doubt it. I, I'm not saying I wouldn't doubt it, but I wouldn't put it by them at all. If Sam Raimi was directing this instead of Doctor Strange 2, I would not doubt. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't argue you if you were to tell me that that, that was exactly what's going to happen. Since it's not, I don't think so, but uh, we'll see. Uh, let's see. Next up, Suthius writes, Hey, guys, whoever this engineer is, it seems to have somewhat of authority to just put a vehicle that meets Monica's request specs and to have said vehicle be sent down with a major of the Air Force. Perhaps we'll meet them in Captain Marvel too. Listen, I still think, like everybody was all disappointed when we didn't meet the engineer. People thought that that one military woman was the engineer. I, I don't think she was the engineer. Now, look, I'm not saying that we are definitely going to get the engineer reveal, but I am not dismissing that we still could get that reveal. I don't think that person was the engineer. I think Jimmy is still outside of the hex for a reason. I think there is a chance. All right. I'm saying a chance. I still believe there is a chance that we have yet to meet the engineer and we may still get a special engineer cameo. Again, I'm not going to be surprised if they don't, but I'm not going to be surprised if they do at that point. So 
We uh, we will see. All right. Uh, one more question, guys, and then we're going to take a little. We're going to take the show long today. We're going to go a little bit longer today, but I am going to take a short two minute break here in just a second, uh, just so I can go refill my drink, rest my voice up for a minute. Uh, Willa writes. I don't understand how anyone can think that Agatha might be good. She's committed the ultimate act of villainy by killing a puppy. There's no redemption from that. Okay, so what is Willow Willow talking about? There are some people that think that Agatha is still, is actually not a villain. And the reason for that is in the comics, Agatha, well, not a stereotypical good guy or even an antihero. Agatha is often... um, in league with our heroes, right? Agatha has quite often been kind of heroic and has actually been on Wanda's side and was even like the babysitter for the Fantastic Four's kid, Franklin. Not to be confused with Agent Franklin who snuck into the hex and became the beekeeper. Different Franklin. And also, this thing about the puppy. And you know what? Fuck me! Okay, follow me here. Follow me here. All right. The puppy. The puppy, right? I was about to say, who's to say the puppy's even real? The puppy just kind of manifested out of nowhere. Suddenly, there was this sparky puppy in the kitchen sink, in the soup, right? Okay. So that. Now, follow me. Let's go back to what our earlier viewer wrote in and said, what if Agatha Harkness is just another character in Wanda's drama, right? Think about it. Why did Agatha have her own intro music and intro show? It was Agatha all along. Like, why did she have that? And why would they literally stop in the middle of it to go, and yes, I killed Sparky. Ha 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 Okay, follow me here. Wouldn't that also, does when you look at it in that light, Does that not also maybe suggest that Agatha Harkness isn't actually real? That she is just an extension of the Agnes character that Wanda is putting in the show to create her own ending? I don't know. That's that's actually not a terrible thought. Because if Wanda is sending out the transmission and wanted the world to see Agatha is the villain, right? It's Agatha all along. And by the way, I killed Sparky too. Isn't that something that a character inside Wanda's show would do? I don't know, man. Every 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 time I'm thinking about this, I am buying more into this theory. I don't know, but I am starting to buy more and more into this theory. Uh, okay, again, sorry. I'll move on from this today, but man... I'm love. I had never heard anybody suggest this, but now that it's been brought up, it all makes complete sense. It doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. It doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. I'm just freaking out a little bit here because it does add up. It makes perfect total sense. It would be why a lot of things happened the way they did. I'm going to hold on to that for a moment. I'm going to hold on to that for a moment. All right. Total speculation. Uh, total guessing. I'm just saying it's really exciting to hear with all the thousands of theories that we hear. It's kind of exciting to hear a brand new theory I've never heard, but that logically does make the dots connect and make sense. It's kind of exciting to me. Uh, Let's now move on. Uh, Next up. 
I think that was Suthius. We were already just talking there, right? Uh, yes, it was. Okay, so Willow writes, I don't understand. Okay, that no, we did Willow as well because Willow brought that all up. Thank you, Willow. All right, Suthius writes, besides Darcy, I think whatever ancillary uh, civilian characters that get involved with the Avengers are going to know certain details of events that most others may not know. Darcy could have known about Vision's uh, early MCU history, Jarvis Ultron from Thor. Well, listen, also don't forget, like this has been brought up a lot. Like how does Darcy know all these details about what happened in Endgame? Listen, go back to Iron Man 2, right? The start of Iron Man 2. What's going on? Congressional hearings, Tony Stark is, is part of it. Every detail about what happened in the events of the first Iron Man are getting revealed um, and there's there's hearings. They want to know everything about it. They want to get possession of this Tark Stark technology and all this kind of stuff. Obviously, the same thing would have happened after the snap. The government would have wanted answers. People would have wanted answers. And I think the Avengers, including Captain America, would have been there to definitely give everybody answers. Why did you lose your loved ones? Why did you lose your family? Why did you lose your friends? And I think every detail probably would have been covered. And I think it's probably public knowledge. In the MCU, I think everything that happened in Infinity War is probably very, very public knowledge. That's my guess at any rate. All right, next up. Suthius writes, uh, shit, as much of a superhero nerd as I am, I have never heard of Agatha Harkness until this show. I know very little about Mephisto and Nightmare, so going into this show, I couldn't have begun to theorize or speculate, even as the show went on, what a ride. I mean, that's one of the cool things, right? It's like, go back to, like, Guardians of the Galaxy. As Marvel started to get on a roll, and they start having these big hits... They came out and said they're doing Guardians of the Galaxy that nobody had heard of. And even me, like, I knew who they were. I knew what Guardians was, but I didn't know much about them. So I went out and found somebody who knew a lot about Guardians of the Galaxy. And I went through a friend of mine that says, I know a guy that knows a lot about Guardians of the Galaxy. You should have him as a guest on your show. I'm like, great. I need a guest on my show because they had just announced Guardians of the Galaxy. I need a guest on my show that can talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. Who's this guy you know that knows Guardians of the Galaxy really well? My friend says to me, it's this big guy. His name's John Schnepp. Uh, he works on uh, Metalocalypse. Um, he's a really good guy. You should, you should get together with him and talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, that the rest was history. But... Again, this shows that was that is Marvel's pattern, right? They are willing to go into really obscure characters and obscure things to make it go. And they made it work with Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's pretty cool that they're going into it here with, uh, with this as well. All right, next up. I've got the mic rights. Plot twist. John Campia is the aerospace engineer from The Incredible Hulk. You found me out. You found me out. My cameo appearance, really, I was an extra but I'll call it cameo appearance to make myself feel important. My cameo appearance in the Incredible Hulk, my character is the engineer. There you go. It's made public now. Now the world knows the secret. It was Campia all along. Okay, next up. Uh, the Black John Campia writes, one or two, love this show. I listen to your podcast at work. Thank you so much, man. The following are some similarities that we share that I think you'll get a kick out of. Also, uh, also, I also uh, think Get On Up is Bozeman's best performance. Absolutely. I, if you haven't seen, and I know a lot of people have never seen Chadwick Bozeman as James Brown and Get On Up, you totally should. I, I think it's his best performance. Have a Sons of Anarchy, my top three favorite shows of all time. There you go. Um, 
Uh, I also have Noises Off as an all-time favorite comedy, adore Spartacus series, especially seasons one and two, advocate for scientific skepticism, critical thinking, and empiricism, love Shaolin versus Lama. I am the devil. I must prove, die to prove the Buddha exists. I have never had anybody write into the show that tells me that have told me they've seen Shaolin versus Lama. That is awesome. Guys, Shaolin versus Lama, um, it's ridiculous. I'm not going to lie to you. It's ridiculous. But it is, to me, when I think of classic kung fu, Saturday afternoon kung fu movies, Shaolin versus Lama is the one that comes to my head absolutely every time. I've never had somebody else write in and say that they've actually seen Shaolin versus Lama. You just made my heart smile, Black John Campia. You just made my heart smile, dude. Thank you for that. All right, next up. Uh, Princess Diana, one of two. Hey, John, you said that it's unlikely to consider that the events of WandaVision are related to multiverse anomaly because there is no mention of it in Far From Home. But do you know if Marvel originally planned to launch WandaVision before Far From Home? Uh, yes. Uh, no, no. WandaVision was never supposed to come out before Far From Home. If they didn't and they actually settle a multiverse anomaly in the show, then it would be just a slip or something like that. The multiverse is mentioned, but it didn't have much relevance. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Greetings from Chile. Well, thank you so much for writing in from there, my friend. Yeah, no. WandaVision was never supposed to come out before Spider-Man Far From Home. And it's, it makes it a really interesting thing when you think about that. that and I know I keep bringing it up, but it's because... It is, could be very, very significant. And it is very significant. Because we naturally think of, well, Spider-Man Far From Home came out last year. WandaVision's out now. Therefore, WandaVision happens at, we all think of WandaVision happening after the events of Spider-Man Far From Home. But we have to remember, it's vital. Spider-Man Far From Home happens eight months after the events of Endgame. WandaVision takes place just three weeks after the events of Endgame. One's eight months. One is three weeks. This happens seven months before the events of Spider-Man Far From Home. And it's especially notable, and, and you guys in the live chat, remind me if I'm wrong, but, you know, when Spider-Man is going through the list of possible Avengers that maybe Nick Fury can go and get, I mean, he mentions Captain Marvel. He mentions Thor, right? He mentions a couple. He never mentions Wanda Maximoff. He never says Wanda. He never says Vision because we know that in Spider-Man Far From Home, Vision's dead. But he never says Vision, kind of affirming that Vision is indeed dead. He never says Wanda. So unless I'm wrong, guys, unless you remember differently, okay, so Zach Morrison is saying, no, he didn't mention Wanda, right? So... bad things i hope bad things i hope bad things i'm hoping for some shakespearean level tragedy man some epic shakespearean level tragedy so oh man wow in the live chat wow in the live chat mentions hey spider-man also never mentions john campia from the incredible hulk as well uh, you might be onto something there. Wow. You might be onto something. All right. Uh, yeah. So, I, so anyway, that's kind of, but it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Princess Diana. Next up, Suthius writes with the amount of characters in the X-Men universe, you think Feige is bold enough to have movies with just the X-Men. It took 10 years for the MCU characters to be in one movie. Uh, Feige may take another 10 years to flesh out the X-Men universe before an Avengers crossover. Um, 
I don't think it would be very bold of him. Listen, when he did the Captain Marvel, when Marvel did the Captain Marvel movie, it was just Captain Marvel. It wasn't other Avengers in Captain Marvel. When we had our first Thor movie, you know, I mean, obviously we're at the beginning stages, but still no other Avengers. Uh, other than a quick Falcon cameo, Ant-Man was just his own Ant-Man movie. So, yeah, I, I do think when Kevin, I think, although I'm just speculating here, just speculating, I do think that when Kevin Feige gets the ball rolling with X-Men, whenever that is, two years from now or sooner than that, I do think he will just kind of focus on X-Men stuff at the time rather than making it some big, all, all, like, all-encompassing um, thing with other Avengers stuff. I think they'll slowly roll them out. I think they'll slowly roll them out. I don't know that. Just to be clear, I don't know that. I'm just guessing. All right. Wakanda Forever writes, Hello, filthy one. I have no idea how they are going to wrap up WandaVision in two episodes. The characters are too popular now to stop. Next five years, over under 50%, we get season two, and we will get a WandaVision team-up uh, or standalone film. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, my good friend Aaron Cummings, who will, of course, be back here on the show on Thursday, she thinks like you do, Wakanda Forever. She believes that WandaVision is now far too popular and all that kind of stuff to not do a season two. I do not believe we're going to get a WandaVision season two. And the reason that is, everything that want, that Marvel seems to do is too popular not to do another one. But here's the, here's the thing. I got the hiccups. Here's the thing. They have so many characters. The MCU has so many characters and so many teams and so many shows to do, and they're all have high uh, potential to be as big, if not bigger than WandaVision. John, WandaVision is the number one show in the world. How do you get bigger than number one? I'm not sure, but you know what I'm saying. They have tons of things that have the potential. So just because you have a few really big successes doesn't mean you can just go back to that over and over again. I really do think there is still, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid they won't, but I still think there's a lot of Shakespearean tragedy coming, and I don't think there's going to be a WandaVision season two. I'm still on the theory. Again, I can't back this up. This is just speculation as a fan like anybody else. That WandaVision ends tragically. We move on with that story into Spider-Man 3 and it culminates in Doctor Strange 2 with Wanda as an antagonist and Wanda not making it out of that of Doctor Strange 2. I think Wanda has to die. Now again, this is huge years in advance speculation. I most likely will have a completely different theory three weeks from now, just like everybody else. But that's kind of where I'm at right now. We'll see. So I don't think... We are going to get a WandaVision season two. Right now, I don't think we will. We'll see what I think in a few weeks. Next up, the Winter Jedi. I like that name, writes. If after Vision touches Pietro, and of course he fingers Pietro, uh, or the may finger, but after he touches Pietro, we hear the Eurythmic Sweet Dream start playing, followed by him speedily saving each person from the hex one at a time. I'm going to lose my blob. I mean, again, if this is actually the Fox X-Men universe Quicksilver, which I still don't think it is, but I'm starting to waver on that a little bit. Right now, I still don't think it is, but I'm starting to waver. Anyway, if he is, then a scene like that, they would probably do. I think it's going back to the well one too many times, and I'm not even sure Quicksilver could get out of the hex. 
Again, though, I don't think he's real. I, I don't think that's actually really him, but you never know. We'll see what happens. Thanks for that, Winter Jedi. Next up, the Garden Variety Vagabond writes, John, I binged this week two British comedies that I have often been recommended. The James Corden co-written starring Gavin and Stacey, uh, Gavin and Stacey, uh, and the Stephen Moffat's The Former Doctor Who Runner Coupling. Uh, they were both amazing. Have you seen these? I highly recommend. No, I have not, but I've heard of Coupling. And I have also had a few people recommend Coupling to me. Now, I've never gone around uh, to watching that. Now, I thought Coupling was a series. I could be wrong, but I thought Coupling was a series. So, again, I didn't watch it, so I don't know for sure. But that's what I was kind of thinking. But here's the great thing, Garden Variety. When you bring up things like shows like this, these types of things on the show, it's not just me you're telling, it's the thousands of other people watching this, and I often get emails from people saying, hey, John, I went and checked out this one thing that one of your viewers recommended, and I loved it. And that happens a lot in here, Garden Variety, so thank you for bringing those up, and uh, maybe they'll turn to something. By the way, uh, Frankie Goose uh, sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much for that, Frankie. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up, we got to Don J, who writes, one of two. Hey, John. I don't want to sound disrespectful to any of the diehard Marvel comic book fans who want to see the adaptation to all the stories on screen, but why is there such a push for X-Men to be introduced? It's not as though we haven't had Hugh Jackman with claws for almost 20 years. I get they are a huge part of the Marvel Universe, and it'll be interesting to see what Disney does with them, but why does it seem to be so urgent to get them on the screen? Evan Peters' appearance is fueling it. Oh, I agree, Don. I agree. I don't know what everybody feels like there has to be some giant rush for. Like, think about this. Right now in the MCU, we have a Spider-Man 3 coming, Doctor Strange 2, we have the Eternals, we have Black Widow. If we look, if we go over to the Disney Plus side of things, we've got Falcon and Winter Soldier, we've got She-Hulk, we got Ms. Marvel, we've got Moon Knight, we've got a War Machine show, we've got a Nick Fury show, we have a Hawkeye show, we've got Blade is obviously coming, we have a Wakanda series coming, we have a Black Panther 2 thing coming. And that's all the stuff we just know about today. Why do we need X-Men right now? What What is the rush? There shouldn't be a rush. There is plenty of stories to tell right now. Oh, and, and everybody in the live chat, Jimmy22, CF, uh, Kane fan is writing. Uh, yeah, don't forget the Loki series. You got Loki on top of that. So when Kevin Feige says, look, I got a five-year plan. I'm going to do my five-year plan, and then I will bring in Fantastic Four and X-Men. Why all of us feel this amazing push that we have no 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 have to get it done now have to get it done now it has to be every single mc like i said every single mcu movie that has come out in the past three years has been this is where x-men are coming are x-men coming now how are they going to bring x-men in now and, and they never do and there does seem to be this irrational kind of rush we feel that you have to get to it and i don't know why now look kevin feige is a human being which means he could change his mind and maybe he will bring in X-Men or things like that or mutants earlier than he originally intended. That's possible. He's a human being. Maybe he changed his mind. But I don't know why everybody feels like he's got to do it right now. He's got a plan. Let's trust his plan. Let's trust Kevin Feige. So, I don't know. You're right. But we, uh, uh, Cincy Nerd in the live chat is saying it's because fanboys are impatient. It's true. We fanboys are impatient. We are. But every once in a while, maybe we should take a breath. 
Now, maybe Kevin Feige brings him in early. Maybe he doesn't. But maybe we should just trust the plan and let's see how it works out. Anyway, I think that's a good observation, Don. It's a good observation. Um, let's see. Next up, uh, Jim Pennis writes, Surely Feige and crew will find a brilliant way to bring X-Men into the MCU. Uh, could be the X gene be evolution's answer to homo sapiens having to adapt to a world full of metahumans. This could explain their sudden presence in a way that isn't arbitrary. True. And by the way, Strange Marvel Theories sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Strange Marvel Theories. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Listen, Kevin, there is no perfect way. Right? We said this before, Jim. There's no perfect way to bring in the mutants here. Because whatever way you try to bring them in now is going to be filled with contradictions and problems and betraying certain aspects of what the mythology of mutants and X-Men are supposed to be. There's no perfect way to do it. Kevin Feige is going to have to find the least imperfect way to do it. And if anybody's going to be capable of finding the best way to do it, it's going to be Kevin Feige. Maybe it'll be something similar to what you're proposing, Jim. Maybe it'll be something completely different, but it's not going to be perfect. Whatever way they do it is going to leave some people complaining. Any option they take will leave some of us feeling underwhelmed or feel like there's going to be things to complain about. But the reality, none of us will be able to come up with a better answer. Kevin Feige will find the best possible answer. It won't be perfect. It'll be a little bit messy. It'll have some contradictions with the classic lore, but he'll find the best way to do it. And then uh, now the question is, when will he do it? Right. That's the question now. Uh, do the butt dance rights over under 30 percent. Galactic Galactus ends up being the Thanos esque super do super duper baddie in this new MCU saga. And would this likely result in a Silver Surfer movie? After all, we're getting the MCU's Fantastic Four in the near term. I'd say well under 30 percent. The reason I would say under 30 percent is this. We are already now moving into phase four. Kevin, going back again to what Kevin Feige said, he said, I've got the next five years planned out. That was only three years ago. So I don't think Galactus is going to be the next big bag baddie. Some people think it's going to be Kang because Kang is going to come in Ant-Man 3. I don't think Kang is going to be the next big baddie either, but he might be. I, I personally think he's just going to be a villain for that Ant-Man movie, but maybe they make him the next big bad. I don't think they will. But maybe. But I don't see Galactus being that either. Maybe later. Maybe later. But I don't think it's... Since Feige said the next five years are planned out, I don't think he had any plans to include Galactus or X-Men or anything like that. He may have changed his mind, but I'll say for now, under 30%. All right, next up. Hitchcock is the GOAT writes. I also thought Wanda was maybe being set up to be the big bad in Doctor Strange 2, but I remember Feige said Doctor Strange 2 will lean heavily into horror. And while Wanda is quite formidable, Mephisto and or Nightmare uh, lean more into the horror than Wanda does, but I could be wrong. See, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Hitchcock, but remember this too. I think this show has kind of at times leaned into the horror aspects. There have been times in this series that have felt very horror-ish. Especially that one episode when she looks up and sees Vision and she sees him as kind of a dead body. Much like the trauma when she looked at Pietro and saw a dead body, right? So, I kind of believe that with Wanda, they've kind of been leaning into the horror bit a bit too. Now, listen. Wanda being the villain in Doctor Strange 2, which may or may not happen, by the way. But if Wanda is the villain or a villain in Doctor Strange 2, that doesn't exclude that Mephisto or Nightmare or Dormammu or whatever else. Uh, obviously, Mordo, 
could also be a very villain, villainous element there. I mean, that could be true. I don't think they're mutually exclusive, so we'll see where that goes. But I don't completely disagree with you, Hitchcock. All right, next up, Nick Figures writes, uh, remember when you had a good laugh right before episode eight? Um before episode seven, you mean. Remember when you had a good laugh right before episode seven at someone mentioning the idea of Batman showing up in WandaVision? If the nexus of all realities ends up coming into play and all bets are off at this point, I'm going to give Affleck's Batman a 1% shot. See, that's the thing. If I don't know if the commercial in episode seven was just like a wink or if it literally means the nexus of all realities is going to be in WandaVision. If the nexus of all realities is in WandaVision, if you understand what the nexus is, it literally means all bets are off. It literally means Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker could come into WandaVision. You may be laughing at that, but it, 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 that's just an example of how absolutely ludicrous this could get. You know what it could be like? Think of, um, think of uh, um, Wreck-It Ralph. You know how Wreck-It Ralph is interacting like with all these video game characters? I am telling you, if the nexus of all realities is, is there, narratively speaking, nothing is out of bounds. The Starship Enterprise could come flying across the sky. It could be like Ready Player One, if you saw the movie Ready Player One. Godzilla could show up. Chucky could show up. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles could show up. I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying that if the nexus of all realities is there, it literally means anything could be. Because the nexus of all realities is literally that. It is the portal and gateway into every conceivable reality and every conceivable um, every conceivable variant of a reality within those realities. It's infinite. And they could literally do anything. Literally could do anything. Not that they would. Now, of course, Batman showing up, the problem with that is not the story of WandaVision. The problem with that is real life, Warner Brothers, Disney. So pretty unlikely, but you never know. Anything could happen, Nick. Anything could happen. All right. I but have have sentience rights. What's your favorite John Williams score, not counting Star Wars, Superman, Indiana Jones, E.T., Jurassic Park, or Harry Potter? I loved Lincoln. Oh, Lincoln was good. And I felt AI was tragically forgotten. That one was really good, too. Man, I don't know. Like, if you're taking away... What's your favorite if you take away your number one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven? I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Um, because so many of those are so good. You can take away all the Star Wars films, you take away Indiana Jones, take away Superman, take away Jurassic Park. By the way, his Jurassic Park, his Jurassic Park score is so good. And I'm not a huge Potterhead, but the Harry Potter one is absolutely amazing too. Like some of these big iconic ones, like you go dun 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 dun, dun you know exactly what it is. When you hear bum 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 bum, you know what that is. Or like Jaws, when you hear bum 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 bum. Right, I I believe I believe Williams did that one. Anyway, uh, I think he's been nominated for like 700, 800, 783 Academy Awards, something like that, some kind of ridiculous number. So I, I don't know. I would have to give it some thought. I would have to give it some thought. All right, um, uh, I'm gonna skip that one because I just hate the username so much. It's just trying to be uh whatever. Uh, Chris writes, John. Obviously, the big cameo in Wandavision is going to be Keanu Reeves as John John Wick. Somebody's got to take. 
uh, care of Agnes after she killed that Sparky. I'm telling you, man, the number of the number of John Wick memes I've seen and read and all that kind of stuff. I think as soon as she says she's going to kill that puppy. And when you're watching the show and you hear said, by the way, I killed Sparky too. Immediately, all of our heads went to John Wick, right? John Wick's going to show up. What if Sparky was that universe's version of John Wick's dog? Mm. Mm. You never know, man. So many John Wick things. All right, Brazilian dude writes. We just got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Uh, the Brazilian dude writes, one of two, Feige says that he always plans five years into the future. However, Iger says in his book that he only started taking, uh, talking to Feige about Disney Plus in 2018. Uh, do you think WandaVision was developed as a consequence of Disney Plus or was it always in Feige's plan? Uh, perhaps as a movie focused on classic films instead, not sitcoms, or a different concept entirely. I personally think that Feige always had big plans for Wanda, especially because of what we know of the the plots for Spider-Man 3 and Doctor Strange 2. Um, here's what I think is the more likely scenario. And it's a little bit of, of what you're saying here, Brazilian dude, as well. By the way, that's some good reasoning you have there. I think there is probably a lot of things Feige had on the drawing board that then shifted to becoming Netflix series. I think there were a lot of stories and plans he had that were then altered and adapted to be made into series. And I I, I know that a couple of them even predate 2018. I know a couple of them, I know for a fact a couple of them predate 2018, but I think, like I said, what I think the most likely scenario is that there was ideas, maybe even WandaVision was conceived as a movie, like a two-hour, 45-minute movie, and then that got shifted into being a series where he was allowed to expand it out and do it longer and maybe double the length, right? So I think that probably has a lot to do with, uh, with a lot of that. That's my guess at any rate. All right, excellent thing to bring up there, Brazilian. Next up, Juice writes, what if Sword did a clone of Grey Vision and Hayward plans to now launch him into the hex? Maybe Bettany's comments about an actor he's always wanted to work with is himself. Uh, just tongue in cheek. Well, listen, what we do, we've always suspected that they were experimenting on Vision's corpse to either relaunch the Ultron project or maybe try to create another Vision, understanding how powerful he was, all that kind of stuff. The notion that, but here's the thing, Logan just t- tried, kind of did that, right? Like, who ultimately did Logan have to fight? He had to fight another version of Logan. Will we come into WandaVision where Vision has to square off against himself, another version of himself? I don't know. Not impossible. Not impossible. But again, like we just saw that happen in Logan, so I don't know if they'll do it here, but it would make logical sense, Juice, if they went that way. So that's that's good. All right. Uh, Meddler 2 writes, are you going to decorate your show? I don't think so. I don't think I am. I, I you know, when I moved into the new studio, by the way, the reason I, Ann and I didn't move so I could have a new studio. Ann and I bought our first house, so I had to move studios and now it's, it's in, uh, I converted this garage. And uh, yeah, this was a garage. A month ago, this was a concrete floor, pretty disgusting-looking garage. And um, contractor came in here, told them what I wanted. And now it's uh, actually really quite a beautiful room. Uh, now, of course, you guys remember, I used to have, like, all my pops and a lot, tons of things in the background. I'm kind of liking just a very clean, simple look at my show. 
Now, I, I haven't thrown out the thing. Like, for instance, look back here. See these sound panels? These panels are in my room to um, prevent sound echo, which is often a problem with a lot of YouTube videos. So, And I've got these all around. But one of the things I was thinking was, see, in between the sound panels, there, there, and right here, in between these sound panels, I've been thinking, what if I put, like, right here, back against the wall, right here between these two sound panels, like a glass case with some hot toys in it. And then I just put like one of the, just, just very simple, just one case there, one case here, one case here and have that maybe. But either way, I'm, I'm kind of liking having just a nice, clean, uh, simple visual. And I still get to look over here, my hot toy, you don't see them, but over here, all, I got all my hot toys over here that I still get to look at, but I'm, I'm kind of like, so I don't know, guys, do you think I should like fill up the background or are you kind of liking like me? I, I kind of like the clean look, but yeah, jump in the comments and let me know what you guys think. What would you guys uh, have me do? That'd be interesting to know. All right. Thanks for that meddler. Next up, Maurice folks writes, Hey John, theaters are open here in Michigan and we got a chance to see Judas and the black Messiah. Nice. Daniel Kalua and I finally sat down and watched that. Daniel Kalua is incredible. Could be an Oscar nomination in his future, as a matter of fact. Uh, we also got to see Godzilla vs. Kong trailer on the big screen, and it was beyond epic. Will definitely be worth a drive to Vegas. You know what's funny, Maurice? Um, I had I was not all that... You guys know this. I was not all that interested in Godzilla vs. Kong because I didn't like Godzilla, King of the Monsters. But that Godzilla vs. Kong trailer is my favorite trailer in the world since the Logan trailer. I don't think there's been a better trailer since the Logan trailer. It's been my favorite trailer for years. And I was very, very, I mean, it got me stoked. And I went from being not all that interested in Godzilla versus Kong. And now I am going to, in March, I am going to drive to Las Vegas so I can go and see Kong versus Godzilla on the big screen. And then last night, me and Ray were talking and Ray's like, I think I want to drive to Vegas so we can go see Mortal Kombat on the big screen. Because, of course, we just saw the Mortal Kombat trailer, and it was great, too. It wasn't as good as the Godzilla vs. Kong trailer, but the Mortal Kombat trailer was real good. And now I think we're going to do that. So I think we're going to drive out a couple of times in the next couple of months to go and see that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of stoked to go see that on the big screen, man. I really am. All right, next up. We've got uh, the other Booker T, <laughs> right? Uh, tips in a $20 tip. Thank you, Booker, for, for supporting our channel on that level. John, you nailed it. This show is so meta. Someone is gaslighting Wanda and Vision so much that they can't trust anything they think they know. Viewers are in the same boat. Whiteboard scene proves to me showrunners know what they're think what we're thinking and are playing with us. Listen, I have no doubt about that. I think they are playing us like a fiddle right now. Because that episode, I think it was episode four, when we see Jimmy's whiteboard and he's like writing out all the questions that everybody, all the fans had been asking during episodes one through three, right? He had them all up there. You're right, other Booker T. They are playing us like a fiddle right now. Which is why, to come back to this other thing again, I love this theory that the whole Agatha Harkness thing is a, is a ruse. That Agatha Harkness isn't real. Agatha Harkness is just an extension of the Agnes character that Wanda is controlling to make her story. I and again, I'm not saying I'm 
I'm, I put money on that. I'm not saying I totally believe that, but I love it. I love the theory so much. And again, it would be another extension booker of the, the writers and Feige and everybody just playing us like fiddles. They know exactly what we're thinking. They know exactly how we'd react to every single line, to every single episode. They knew that, hey, watch, when we mentioned that uh, Monica knows an uh, aerospace engineer, watch the internet explode with theories about, bet, bet you some idiots like that John Campia guy are going to think maybe there's a possibility that engineer is Reed Richards. <laughs> and sure enough, here I go. I, I'm out here saying, look, I don't think they're going to bring in Fantastic Four yet, but... I, maybe it could be John Krasinski as Reed Richards. And I'm clapping like a seal and all that kind of stuff. That's possible. But you're right, man. Like this show has continually proved all over and over and over and over again that they absolutely have their fingers on the fandom's pulse. They know where we're at and what we're thinking. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go from there. All right, next up, Stubble McShave writes, do you think they will speak Japanese without subtitles in the Shogun remake? Yes. Uh, no. No. Not without subtitles. Uh, it's a pretty bold move for today's audience. However, I think it's essential to do so if you want to create a sense of coming to a totally alien culture and slowly assimilate to it. I see what you're saying there. And if you go back like, to the original miniseries, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Shogun is a book by James Clavell that was in the 80s adapted into a miniseries. That is awesome. I have been wanting a Shogun, uh, a Shogun to be done for 25 years. I've wanted them to do something like this. And here it's coming. It's going to be, Disney's doing it. It's going to be on FX. It's going to be awesome. It's about this explorer. It's a period piece about this explorer who's looking for new trade routes and he ends up in a storm and they end up in Japan. And it's awesome. Like with the samurai and it's just awesome. But I do think today's audience gets frustrated when there's not subtitles to things that are going on. Um, and so I don't think, I don't think they'll do it without subtitles. I think they will do it with subtitles and I think they should do it with subtitles. Um, but again, I don't know. It's a very interesting point to bring up Selma McShave. Let's see where they go with that. That's an interesting point. All right. Last question of the day, guys will be coming to us from Mad Mardigan's Cardigan, who writes, John, I am so sick of that dramatic landing on one knee thing every superhero villain character does. With the one arm forward, the one arm back, and that quick snap up at the head, it's overdone to the point of just being obnoxious and lazy. <laughs> Love you, bye. Oh, it sure looks, even, even Deadpool made fun of it, right? Even Deadpool, remember? Why? She's going to do the superhero landing. She's going to do the superhero landing. Boom, does the superhero landing. Like, even Deadpool made fun of it. It does look cool. The argument for it is that 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 is probably more or less how you would land if you're making a big, like, I know, you know, as a kid, whatever, when I'm jumping a big fence, I don't jump a lot of fences these days. When I was younger as a kid, when I jump over the fence, once I land, it's it's kind of in that thing, right? You kind of drop down to one knee, your arms up for balance. So it is kind of how you land. But yes, you are right. You are right. It is how, it is very stereotypical. It is done a lot. I mean, even some WWE wrestlers do it. <laughs> some WWE wrestlers do that landing or whatever. But I mean, yeah. No, you're right. Again, when you get to the point that even Deadpool is mocking it, you know it's really overdone. 
You know it's really overdone. So you're not wrong about that. All right, listen, guys. I, I'm going to do a companion video a little bit later. Me and Kimberly Curran, you guys know Kimberly has been helping me with, with companion videos as of late. Uh, so we're going to do a companion video to get caught up on the rest of the questions later today. Brian Walmer, um, Anonymous, Wakandan Forever, uh, MD, and the rest, do not worry. Your questions are going to get answered a little bit later today. Uh, Kim and I are going to do that companion video. It'll probably be up and online a little bit later tonight. So keep your guys' eyes open for that. Again, if you had sent in a question and didn't get answered yet, Come back to the companion video a little bit later. Guys, for now, that'll do it for today's episode of the John Campia Show. Thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett, always for bringing his glory and goodness to the show. Thank you to all of you guys for taking time out of your day to hang out well, to hang out here with us and spend a little bit of time with us. It's always great to get together with the rest of the community. And a special thank you to all of you guys who sent in the live questions because number one, you give us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here at the John Campbell Show, thank you guys very, very much for that. Don't forget, guys, you can also send in those tip questions anytime, 24-7, and support the show too. And if you want to see your question get on tomorrow's show, the sooner you send it in, the more likely you'll see it early in tomorrow's show. Just go to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip and make sure it's reasonable and all that kind of stuff. And thank you to you guys who do that. All right, guys, keep our friends in Texas in your hearts and prayers and do go and support the relief efforts there. Also, please do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends... Bye-bye.